Welcome into episode 82 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast, the Martin Straka episode. Didn't say it. Alongside a disappointed Craig Morgan. Straka. That's what I was looking for. And a uh, very busy Jamie Eisner with the NFL Draft coming up. I'm Luke Lipinski, and all I have to talk about is hockey. So here we go, gentlemen. We've got uh, all of the first round series are in the books now. None of them were when we recorded just a week ago. And some craziness happened. We're going to get into those shortly. We're going to preview all the uh, second round series that are remaining. We're going to talk to Curtis Pichelka to get some insight on the Sharks. Michael Russo to get some insight on the Minnesota Wild. A couple quick news and notes to hit here at the very beginning involving teams that are nowhere near the playoffs. We'll start with Vancouver because it sounds like, as we're recording this, they have hired their next coach. And that would leave just Buffalo and Florida without coaches if uh, if Vancouver does indeed go out and make Travis Green the bench boss there. So at least somebody knew, Craig. I know you don't like the recycled coaches. Travis Green's a former Coyote, too. There you go. Pretty good guy. So That worked for the Penguins with Mike Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's the only measuring stick, but no. yeah. Well, that's the measuring stick Vancouver's using, I would, I would think, at this point. Well, uh, I, I think we're all in agreement that Vancouver needed they coach. could only go up from where they were. <laughs> well, they couldn't play without from, a coach. From Bill Desjardins. <laughs> Billy D. Billy D, yes. Uh, yeah. We'll see. So that's pretty much all we have to say about Vancouver, other than they'll be winning the Vancouver draft Vancouver has a lot of work to do. Yes, okay? and glad somebody else gets a shot that hasn't had a shot yet. Yes. yes. And they'll have Nolan Patrick or the rights to him within, what, four days? Because they're a Canadian team in the draft lottery, you mean? Well, only Canadian teams and Colorado seem to win recently and Vancouver was quite bad this year so they're in a pretty good position to get that top Colorado pick. was a Canadian team at one point Maybe that's, that's true why. of course that hasn't go. worked for the Coyotes where, yeah, so where, yeah where, where did they play hockey I, I haven't heard about where Colorado played hockey before Denver you my friend should go on the internet at some point no. actually never mind don't go on the internet the place where point. they couldn't win oh, ah. that's, that's mean they needed to move to win Considering where we are in the season, I think we can move on from Vancouver and talk about a more prominent team. Yeah, because we could have said that in November. But well, You but did fair. actually say that in November. But I do want to hit one other team. And I was right, by the way. You, you Same were. with Detroit and you, all the teams I trashed. Remember, I remember getting one of the few comments, angry comments I got on a story I wrote for today's Slapshot was at the beginning of the year saying, this is not a playoff team when talking about Vancouver, but here's what they could do for the future. And there was people saying, Stanley Cup or bust for the Vancouver Canucks. No, those people were wrong. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they weren't wrong. Or they were in bust. Canucks management. <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right, we're done with the Canucks. We're in a crack house somewhere. Yeah. Buffalo Sabres, okay. one of the two teams uh, that doesn't have a coach at this point. Oh, I'll contrary. I think they have a coach, a GM, and a star center. All, it's all one package. Jack Eichel going the LeBron James route. Because yes. He hasn't won anything. Player, yet. coach, general manager, Jack Eichel. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This had, no, it was completely unrelated. Yes, That's right. It was, it was completely unrelated. Timing. Silly me. Buffalo didn't fire their coach or their GM the day after the season. They waited till a week and a half later and then randomly did it after Jack Eichel allegedly said he wasn't going to come back. What are the odds? Dan Bilesman. What a coincidence. There seemed to be a bit of a rift earlier this year. Remember, they, they benched Sam Reinhart but made him sit on the bench, and that wasn't entirely their doing, but Sam Reinhart didn't play in a game. He was, a, he was late to a meeting, wasn't that? It was like five minutes late to a meeting or something, and... Jack Eichel and a couple other players pretty publicly took Reinhardt's side. That's not a great situation when you're uh, when your young players are not lining up with the coach, and now they don't have a coach. Hmm. So there you go. Connect the dots. 
Who uh, who makes the playoffs first, the Sabres or the Bills? Oh, I think you say Sabres or the Canucks. I was still pretty confident it was the Sabres. I feel like the law of averages just has to get the Bills into the postseason at some point. At some point. Maybe when Tom Brady's dead. I think even <laughs> then he'll still be beating the Bills. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go Sabres. It's not looking great for Buffalo sports. Oh, and you could have said that how many years in a row? All of them. Oh, yeah. Are the right. Bison still play there? <laughs> Buffalo Bison? Bison? That no. seems sort of like a... Triple A baseball? Uh, yeah. It's not an oxymoron, but it's redundant. It's, it's also not as, I mean, as we know, the official. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. Came up with that. The official minor league team of this podcast is still the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Well, obviously. So we, can, we, can't, we can't cheat on them. We need to do a, a remote podcast from a Binghamton Rumble Ponies game. And people will come up and they'll be confused by us, but yeah. that's fine because we'll be confused. It's live us. from the campus of SUNY Binghamton. Absolutely. So is that what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. All right. Let's talk playoffs. Eight Playoff. series in Playoff. the books. What was it? 18 overtime games setting a, an all-time NHL record for the first round. Why were they differentiating, by the way, on N- NBC uh, between conference quarterfinals and first round? What, why were they doing it's, that? It's the same reason where the NCAA tried to pretend like the playing games were the first round for three <laughs> years and everyone's like, stop it. But it makes even less sense there, here. Because yeah. there was, there was no difference. I can't remember a point when there were more than 16 teams in the NHL playoffs. Can you? I, I cannot. <laughs> no. Okay. I just was just checking on that. because I'm looking at my screen, and they're saying, it's a new NHL record for the first round. No, it's not. No. Well, this is when they, when they yeah. hit 17, right? Yeah. It's not a record. No. It's tied. I don't know. It's a new record since we've started calling it this, right. even though yeah, it's the same thing. We're going to call it something else next year, so we can set a record then, too. Look at that. Records everywhere. But no, no game Imagine seven. Imagine that a record round. in year one. <laughs> <laughs> and the sorry. records continue to fall here in the first year. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, so anyway, no game sevens, but a very exciting first round. I, I'm one of those people that actually missed having a game seven. I, I need a game seven every round. So I'm not disappointed in the first round. But that was surprising with how many games went to overtime. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. With 18 overtimes, you, you you were approaching 50% of the games going yeah. into overtime. I and would have loved to have seen a Game 7 in Toronto, Washington. That was yeah. the best series of the first round, in my opinion. and would have been worth watching. It, it, it would have been nice to have it isolated on its own day, just this special Game 7, almost like bonus playoff yeah. game. Game 7 day? Yeah, Game yeah. 7 day. As Carr Putnam shakes his head furiously from side to side. <laughs> in disgust, but also strange wonderment. Let's, uh, let's start with that series, because that was, that was the best. Craig is right. Yeah. Six games, five to overtime. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not shocked that Toronto made that an interesting series, and that's not a knock on Washington. Craig and I were talking on the car ride over here. Jamie, I'm guessing you probably agree. Toronto wins the Atlantic next year, right? Yeah, I mean, they're clearly the best team right now in that division. They are it's not again not a high bar to clear, but it's no that's true compared to the other the other divisions where you do have more elite, well we think elite talent. They're also the best team in Canada, I think. Even though they're there are two yeah. teams that are in the second round, I came away from the first round of the playoffs thinking, okay, the Maple Leafs are Canada's best team now, yeah. which is again a good thing. Yes, and, and I think it, it the series had very much of a feel of. You know, the, the young upstart teams coming up, and they're not quite ready to, to knock off their teacher yet, and the, and the Capitals were able to get by them. But it's kind of a look of, we're in a year or two, they will be. They're going to be the big dogs on the porch very, very soon. Yeah, I, I, I thought going in, and we said this on the podcast two weeks ago, I thought if Toronto wins game one, Washington's in trouble because your, Toronto is, is the definition of playing with house money. They are, in a lot of ways, 
they don't know any better. They don't know that they should be they shouldn't be winning against the top team in the NHL, which Washington pretty clearly is. And Toronto didn't win game one, but they came back and won game two. They actually won game three, and then they ultimately lose three straight to go out. But Washington is, I do think, the best team in the league, and Toronto kept all those games close. I, the only thing I really felt like I learned from that series was, and you can never project to next year. It's not like Toronto just starts in the first round next year and they're going to beat whoever they play. Right. But they're a little further along in terms of on the big stage, Austin Matthews just scores every game anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's 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 the key piece there, in my opinion. Because you can look at Calgary and say, well, look, they made the playoffs. They even won a round when they made the playoffs a couple of years ago, three seasons ago now. But we all thought that was fool's gold to yes, some extent. Exactly. So did they. Because, so yeah, did they. they. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they said it themselves. It, except they when probably, they decided to burn a year of Sam Bennett's entry-level contract for two games. Nothing bothers Jamie Eisner more. Oh, I can think of things. Well, well that, that, that should be a good game we could play throughout the offseason. Let's see how quickly we can agitate Jamie Eisner. But, but back to the point. Okay. There, Austin Matthews, you know, there's going there's going to be a rivalry down the road between Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. Maybe they'll play for a cup someday if Edmonton can fill in some very large gaps on that team. But Austin Matthews made more of an impact than Connor McDavid in the first round of the playoffs. Connor McDavid, to be honest, to me was just a he was a good player, but he wasn't a game changer in the first round of the playoffs. Oh. Austin Matthews scored in four straight games. And they were pretty nasty goals some yeah, of them. Yeah, I mean, that one, it was a crazy bounce. But what he did with the puck after he got the puck and the fact that he beat, uh, was it, who did he beat to the spot? No, I'm forgetting. Was it Kuznetsov that he beat to the spot to get to that puck? I just keep remembering Brian Campbell getting beat by Philip Forsberg by not skating. So, I'm sorry, I'm okay. focused on a different series. I just, Austin Matthews was a terrific player to yes. me in the first round of the playoffs. And that was, I guess, a little surprising to see it happen that quickly especially when you consider the caliber of the opponent he was playing. Yeah. That's the best team in the world. Yeah, what happens if they're playing Ottawa? Nothing against Ottawa, who won their series. But Yeah, at some point, I, I, we'll talk about Ottawa in a second. We're getting to Ottawa. I'm loving this. You guys are going to have to talk about what, Ottawa. To me, what I was most impressed about all season with Austin Matthews is even when he wasn't scoring, he made an impact in almost every single game he played. And that's something that I you expect a lot – even for a talent like that to be high peaks, but then some some low valleys, he he did a good job of making an impact in almost every single game. And boy, you know that's if the NHL would be very very fortunate to have a Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews mm-hmm. Stanley Cup. That that would be because they're never going to have a Crosby Ovechkin Stanley Cup, and in this format, they're never going to have one even in the conference finals ever ever Probably again. Never Chicago or Pittsburgh either. It's it's, yeah, it's not looking like it. Just, I don't know. That's a shame, but. So, I mean, from, from a marketability standpoint, but yes, Edmonton has a long way to go to get to even... Uh, they have a, a decent little track to get to even where Toronto is right now, yeah. I think, in terms of depth. Ray Ferraro made a great point about uh, Austin Matthews as well. Just when you, when you watch a player's play away from the puck, and, and I'm not saying Connor McDavid doesn't do a lot of good things away from the puck. He does. His speed is such a factor in, in a lot of areas of the game. But, but one, of the, one of the things that I watch is, is back pressure with a player like that. He's an absolute thief. From behind, he can pick your pocket from behind, and you don't even know it. He just comes up, and and Ferraro compared him to uh, Pavel Datsuk in that respect, and that he can he can have an impact on the game that way, and just completely reverse flow of the game or or of a simple play by doing something like that. And those are the things that you look for that make a complete player. Is okay, he, his offensive talents are obviously there. He's a goal scorer at that position, but. He's got other areas of his game that are really good as well. I think the thing with Matthews that stood out to me this season, I mean, the first game of the year he scores four goals with everybody watching. You know, <laughs> oh, it, that. it just seemed like each each time there was a 
especially big deal made about him, he stepped up. Even, you know, coming home to play the Coyotes, and, and he's obviously the most famous NHL player ever from this state, he immediately puts a point on the board. He, he scores against the Coyotes in Toronto. He just every single time, obviously every time he hits the ice playing for the Maple Leafs, there's a ton of pressure and focus on him. But any time a game got elevated a little bit, he raised his game as well. And to the point where, you know, you go into next season, it's not, hey, how does Austin Matthews follow up on that amazing rookie campaign? I think he's one of the ten best players in the NHL already. Yeah, and, and I think I don't it's, think that's crazy. He steps again. No moment too big for him. Yeah. At least that we've seen. He plays better in those. At least that's that we've the seen. thing you never know. You don't know about a kid until they step into that moment. And man, to be able to step onto the playoff stage in Toronto with all that, all that implies, you yeah. know, with their their past failures, many failures, and to be able to do what he did. Wow. He's a finisher, he's, too. He's just got the it factor. Yeah. We're going to talk about that later on in the show, but you know, comparing him to Connor McDavid, we all think Connor McDavid's going to be that guy as well, but we haven't seen it yet. We didn't see it in the first round. Instantly, we saw it from Austin Matthews, and you're right. No matter how good the player is, you don't know how they're going to perform in the playoffs. And Matthews and McDavid could have both gone out there this year, got taken out in five games in round one and produced no points, and we still, we still would expect the world of them going forward. But to already see Matthews do what he's doing is... It's eye-opening. All right, we got to rattle through some of these series. So let's go Columbus-Pittsburgh. I think the last time we talked on this show, it was already 3-0 Pittsburgh. So we've hit on this series a decent amount already. Is this a successful season for Columbus? I mean, they go out in the first round of the playoffs again, but I've, I've heard people saying it's their best season, so that technically it is. Yeah, I, I think it is because I, I think if we, we – as I said before, if we moved everything just back one year, we would have thought this is a very successful season. Okay. And, I, and I think this is the steady progression we've seen. They, they did have that major slip-up, maybe Calgary-like slip-up, where they made the playoffs and they jumped way back down, and then they're, they came back up again. I think Pittsburgh's the second-best team in hockey. I, I, just, I, I, I was wrong about the impact of how, how much losing Chris Letang would matter or how much losing Matt Murray would Chris matter. Uh, yeah, this thing's garbage. <laughs> Columbus didn't exploit that. I don't. I don't. We talked but, last week. Columbus didn't exploit no, Pittsburgh's they didn't. weaknesses. But the problem is, is as currently constructed, they're going to have to get through Pittsburgh and Washington if they're mm-hmm. ever going to advance. And that's going to be something they're going to have to again in a year or two years. The excuse of oh, well, you know, we're coming up and we'll get by those teams isn't going to matter until you actually get by those teams. No, the, but I, the, I can't. The season it can't be looked at as a failure in any capacity. I know that Montreal fans feel like the this relatively new playoff system where you just play two versus three and one versus a wild card screwed them because they played the Rangers who had the same record even though they won their division in Montreal. Columbus is the team that got screwed in the first round of these playoffs. They shouldn't have had to play Pittsburgh. They had the fourth best record in the NHL. They should not have had to play the team with the second best record. That's it's ridiculous and I've railed on, on, on this show for two years now really. But uh, that's the team that got screwed and as Jamie just pointed out, they may continue to get screwed because unless they drop into a wild card spot, they're playing Pittsburgh or Washington in the first round next year almost certainly. Yeah, and I, first off, agreed on it being a successful season. They just played the defending Stanley Cup champs. There's just, it was just a bad draw for them. You can't fault them. They were, they were actually really dominant for stretches of that series. But the, the thing that we talked about, they don't have difference makers at Ford. No. They don't have those guys who can, again, get two chances in a game and score a goal. That's the, the closest guy they had to it this year was Cam Atkinson. Did anybody yeah. see that coming? And does, does anybody really put Cam Atkinson in the same caliber of player as Sidney Crosby or Ganey no. Malkin? He's a they, shot generator, but yeah, he's not they, a superstar. Right. They superstar. don't have that player. So that's a problem. That you know, We look at this model that, that Columbus has gone with, and a lot of teams have to do this because you don't have that 
franchise center. They don't just drop out of the sky and every team has one and you go from there. Most of the teams don't have them. So what do you do? You try and make your center depth solid throughout. And they've done that. They've constructed a good roster. It's probably good enough to get in the playoffs. It might be, you know, you have a season like this where you produce over 100 points. But come playoff time, if you don't have those guys, I still don't think you can win cups. Especially where they are. I mean, if you put them over in a different division or just a different corner of this bracket where you can kind of get by with your potential Vezina winning goalie and you can grind out 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two wins until some on any given night one of those Columbus players could score two goals or produce three points or whatever, but you can't depend on it from night to night. And if they're going to have to go through Pittsburgh and Washington every year, Look, Bobrovsky's going to win the Vezina, and he got lit up every game this he, series. He actually wasn't yeah. that good in that series, and that was part of the problem. So th they have to look at that. But, yeah, he is going to win the Vezina. Now, but do you expect him to hold Pittsburgh or Washington to a goal or two in, a, no, in every game in a playoff no, series? absolutely not. You, you can't. can't do that with those. Now, Washington's not going to be as good next year. We've talked about a lot about their losses in the offseason. So maybe you're feeling a little better about that. Maybe you're thinking, okay, at, at some point here, Pittsburgh's going to age too, and, and that's going to be a problem for them. And maybe that's our window. But, again... If you don't have the, those one or two players who can just elevate it when nothing else is going right, I still don't think you're a cup contender. And I don't think the Columbus Blue Jacks will be a cup contender anytime soon. Wow. We'll get to Pittsburgh-Washington in a second. We'll do all the second rounders. But let's, uh, let's go up to the top part of that Eastern Conference bracket. How would you guys do, by the way, on picks? I think it's I went horribly. six and two. I think I went four and four, I believe. Same, four okay. and four. First no. round's always the toughest now, to predict. To, to, in our defense, there are a couple... I still believe if Boston's healthy, even remotely healthy, not playing without three of their top four defensemen and later David Craigie, they win that series. I still think they're the better team. Same thing for San Jose. I think if they're healthy, they beat Edmonton. I mean, we, we heard from Curtis today about what was yeah. going on with their top two centers. Yeah, the only pick I'm mad about is, is Pittsburgh-Columbus. Well, we will hear from Curtis we today. We will, yes. yes. <laughs> and Craig is, is looking into the future. Uh, yeah, just because I, that's the one where I kind of went, oh, you know, the best team might not win because of injuries, and then the best team dominated. So yeah. that's the one I'm mad at that I didn't pick. But which one? I'm sorry, I the Pittsburgh Columbus that. one that yeah. I, I picked Columbus. But I mean, I, I couldn't have made, I couldn't have sat here with a straight face and made an argument that the Nashville Predators were going to beat the no, Chicago Blackhawks. I, I couldn't have done it. No. So I, I don't even worry about that. No. They were they were clearly the better team, but I couldn't have made in, in that four game stretch. But I couldn't have made the argument before that series started that the Blackhawks. I were think the lose red people that picked them were just like doing it to be different. Yeah, I, and finding things to back their argument. But no, if you're if you're being rational about that, there's no way you think the Blackhawks are losing that series. I've heard people that picked Nashville, and basically their argument was it doesn't make any sense. I just want somebody new to win, basically. And yeah, those were the two series I missed: Chicago and, and Pittsburgh. And when we made the picks, I mean, I, I said I thought Pittsburgh would lose, but I. I Certainly wouldn't shock me if they won. Nashville beating Chicago, we'll get to that in a second, was uh, obviously a stunner. But the other Eastern Conference uh, matchups real quick, Rangers, Canadians, New York wins. I think it was it was what a lot of people expected in terms of basically being a low-scoring series. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist definitely outplayed Carey Price, which I don't think is a stunner because Lundqvist plays his best hockey in the playoffs. But the fact that Carey Price didn't quite look like Carey Price was a little surprising. And Craig and I were talking on the way up here. Montreal without Carey Price is an average to below average team. Well, they're not good up the middle. Yeah. We've talked about that many times. Their center ice position anywhere. is mediocre, and that's that's obviously a problem. But, yeah, I, the biggest surprise in that series to me was Carey Price not looking like Carey Price. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it shows in the very first topic on the very first Natural Hattrick podcast, and it was just Luke and I in the other room on those weird red and black couches, was – 
how without Carey Price, this was two. Yep. This was before last season. Without Carey Price, we're just not all that impressed with what Montreal has to offer. Yep. And when he's off his game, even a little bit against a very good opponent in the New York Rangers, they couldn't handle it. What do you make of the fact that Montreal continuously starts seasons strong? It feels like every year they just get their fans' hopes up because. I was thinking about this. You look at all the teams that lost in the first round, and there, you know, there's different expectations, and we'll talk about some of these other teams. Some of them, you know, they're not just happy to get there, but now looking back, they see it as a step forward. And obviously a team like Chicago expects to win a cup every year, so they're frustrated. But a team like Montreal, their fans expected the cup this year. Yeah, that's and insanity. That was never a cup-worthy team. Not that good. No. And you know what they could use? And this is really just me now trying to egg on Jamie. They could really use a puck-moving defenseman huh. no. that's relatively young and has yeah. been signed to a good Remember contract long-term. two months of the season when that trade looked okay? Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, there you go. Yeah. See, Shea Weber. That, yeah. that was, those were the two months that that yeah. trade's going to look the best for Montreal because it's all downhill for them Agreed. in regards to the fact that... And look at what Nashville's blue line did in this series yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, they were decent. Uh, Boston, Ottawa. As I said to you in the group text, the Ottawa Senators will be the 2012 Baltimore Ravens to me. I still don't believe the Baltimore Ravens won that Super Bowl. I'm just gonna. I would, I would still pick the 49ers <laughs> today if they replayed the game on television. Same thing with Ottawa. Even I'm just not. I don't think that they're a strong enough team. They're, in my mind, the weakest team that's still in this postseason. They were the weakest team going into the postseason. I thought. Period. I just don't. I don't like anything about that team. I just don't. I don't think. I, I think they're very Carlson, okay. Yeah. I like oh, Carl, Okay, fair. Eric Carlson's great. Everybody else is just. Sometimes they crop up and, yeah. and they play well. I just do. I think Bobby Ryan's going to be the win the con Smythe. No, Ryan Berkshire doesn't. I, again, I I think if Boston is healthy. They probably win this series. And I mean, the, the blue line was decimated, and that matters so much in today's NHL. But beyond that, you, the thing about Ottawa, I, I am really curious what that team would look like if the reins were taken off that team a little bit because I do think they have speed, and I think they might be a little more fun to watch. But they play, you know, they play that basically they're just baiting you. They'll just wait and wait and wait and finally take advantage of something. They'll win the low-scoring game. Let's keep Eric Boucher, Carlson Coach will team. make some ridiculous play, and they'll get a goal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know that we know what they're capable of offensively entirely, but this, this seems to be the, the formula they play with right now, and it's having some success. Can it, can it get to the ultimate step? Probably not. They, but they might be able to win another playoff round given their draw because I know you say it. I'm still not impressed with the Rangers. The Rangers are still a, they take terrible care of the puck. Yeah. If Montreal had made them pay at all, they would have been out in the first round because New York was not impressive to me. Well, if Ottawa took the reins off, you're right. They'd be a lot more fun to watch, but I also think they wouldn't even be in the playoffs. I mean, I think that system Maybe is, so. is, is what's getting them here. But I will say this. Eric Carlson, I don't watch every Ottawa game. That's just not a passion of mine. But this is the <laughs> best I've ever seen him play. I mean, even all the way down to him basically being a vocal leader earlier in that series when things weren't going well and then instantly delivering on the ice. And, you know, he's yelling at Derek Broussard and then setting up Derek Broussard for a huge goal in that series. Can this is the best I've ever seen. Can we talk about the end-to-end pass, the one where he flipped it over the entire Bruins defense yeah. from his goal line and dropped it at the far blue line for a breakaway? Absurd. That, that play was absurd. That that's, was one of the plays the play of the, of the postseason so far. Oh, yeah. It was just sick. I, watched, I probably watched that play 20 times because I, I just couldn't believe what I just saw. And it was literally, you watch the Bruins players, and they all see it. And the very last one thinks it might be in reach, but it's just out of his reach. It's like a quarterback throwing a, a ball a right on the money. Yeah. On ice. Yeah. And making teammates that are okay 
suddenly look really good offensively. That was a pretty good goal, too. One-handed goal. It was. Yeah. All right, let's go over to the Western Conference. Uh, I'm just going to let you run with this one, Craig. No wig. Uh, no wig. Yeah, you were watching those Carlson no highlights. Wig. That's right. Wig. No wig. So I'm excited about that. This is the most surprised I have ever been by a outcome in a hockey game. I mean, I, I wasn't around for the Miracle on Ice, but I'm just saying in terms of the NHL, not only did I think Chicago was running through the West, look, I picked Nashville to win the division at the start of the year. I didn't think they had a chance in this series, and I never in a billion years would have picked them to sweep Chicago and give up three total goals. Has anybody done a list? I haven't even seen it yet. I, I, I haven't looked at on, on the internet, that, that place you mentioned earlier, the internet. Check that out. Yeah. Has anybody done a list of the biggest upsets in NHL history? Because this has to go down as one of them, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. me personally, it's You're just You're talking shocking. about a three-time cup champion. Now, I, I remember way back when, when the Penguins' first cup run started, when they had Mario, Blackhawks won the President's Trophy one year, and they lost in the first round to Minnesota North Stars and John Casey. And that was hard to take, but when you look at that Blackhawk roster, you go back and think, okay, that was more like a, uh, it was like a Columbus roster where there were no superstars yeah. on that team that, that could carry the team. This one, to me, I mean, a team that's won three cups just came off a great regular season. They're the number one seed. This is not a team that chokes. And they were playing well. They're, yeah, they weren't playing poorly in during the postseason either. When you see what they do in the first, when, when they get taken out, in the playoffs over this cup run. It's been a seven-game series every time mm-hmm. except the one time against Phoenix when Rafi Torres took Marion Hossa out of the series. And Bodker yeah, scored you know, two overtime goals without shooting. Like, there were so many weird... Goals, yeah, five overtime Crawford. games yeah. in that series. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't think of another one in, in my lifetime that was more stunning. Especially with the outcome of a sweep. You know, it's one thing to be upset in a seven-game series or six games. You get swept, that's... Number one seed, the last time it's happened as a number one seed in any conference was the Blackhawks in 93. It just doesn't happen. See goals. I mean, to have three, three goals. I, I can't remember yeah. a team only scoring three goals in the playoffs. Like, from Dennis Rasmussen. <laughs> yes. I just, three goals from yeah. the Blackhawks. Well, we, you know, we've talked, we'll talk more about Minnesota in a little bit, but that was a team that struggled down the stretch. You figured they weren't going to play well. They ran into a hot goalie, and they still scored eight goals. I know. If, if you said, well, a Central Division teams can get swept out of the first round and score three goals, and we were all, we would just scream Minnesota from the rooftops. Or we might have said Nashville. That would have been our second choice. But, yeah, we all would have said Minnesota first and foremost. Craig made a good point, though, off the air, where he makes a lot of his good points. We don't know how good Nashville is. Nashville could legitimately be good. That's the thing. Maybe they are. and Maybe at the end of this postseason we'll say, ah, okay, so they finally came of age and were the team that all three of us in this room predicted long ago might be at the start of the season. Or go out in the second round and then we'll go, oh, wow, look what happened to the Blackhawks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, like you said, we all thought highly of them coming into the year and they didn't quite put all the pieces together. But they have something a lot of the teams in the postseason do not, and that is an unbelievably deep and skilled blue line. And that, that could be the difference when you're talking about styles and matchups. That's something they have that their competitors really don't have right now. That top line is playing so well yeah. right now. I'm trying to look for big upsets in the history of the league. I vaguely remember Sharks Red Wings way back in like the mid '90s. That yeah. was a big deal. But I just, for me personally, expecting what I expected from the Blackhawks, this was not at all what I expected. So. Mm-hmm. You know the Blackhawks better than anybody I know. Is this just, it's weird because they lost in the first round last year, so you'd expect a bounce back this year, but is this a blip on the radar, or they got, is this potential issues that carry over? Because you start to hear 
you know, with the changes that we've seen, and they're minimal after the season, but they could be significant in the sense that if they anger Joel Quenville, that's an issue. Yeah. He's the best coach in the NHL. I, again, I, th I think a lot, there's a lot more friction between GMs and coaches than people realize. I think that's more common than uncommon. Uh, but when, when I look at those questions you're asking about the Blackhawks, I look at it three different ways. For, first of all, those young kids that came on in the second half of the season, they looked like they had stage fright. They, they weren't ready at all for this postseason, and they didn't record any points. So they got no production from those guys who were keys to their second half surge. You can look at that and say, well, they, it was a learning process for them. This was, this was more about what we expected at the start of the season. Even if Chicago makes the playoffs, which we all expected them to do, these young kids wouldn't be able to carry them very far yet. It was too much of a process. So you can look at that and say, okay, we'll, we'll just give that another year. The bigger questions for me are, where were, where were the veterans? Where was the leadership on this team to carry them? Patrick Kane, I thought, still produced offense, and he played a lot of minutes because he was producing chances. Jonathan Taze makes a lot of money, and I know a lot of people in Chicago hate to hear this. He's a great captain. He's a great defensive player. You don't get to make that kind of money by being a great defensive player and a great leader. You need to produce, and he didn't produce. Now, I know he's got some handicaps on his lines with the guys that are playing with him. Again, when you make that kind of money, you better produce because you're, you're not earning your keep right now. And then the last thing that I look at with that team is their blue line. Other than Duncan Keith, who impressed you? He, it looked like Nobody. he was by no. himself out there. Nobody. Not only was I not impressed, I thought they were detrimental to yes. the team. I didn't even see them. If you go back and watch the highlights of the series, which I was doing this morning, on every goal that Duncan Keith was out there, he's the only defenseman out there. He's facing a two-on-one, or he's taking a penalty to prevent a goal because there's just not another defender out there with him. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's a big problem for the Blackhawks. I don't know how they solved that. They're not getting out from under Brent Seabrook's contract unless they find a, an absolute sucker. And they need to. I mean, that, yeah. that's the kind of thing you need to move. If, you want, if you're a team in this league and you don't want the Blackhawks to get back to where they've been, don't take the Brent Seabrook contract. Yeah, because I, that's, unless it's, it's a situation where we talked a couple weeks back about hypothetical situations with, in L.A. with their bad contracts, you're going to have to offer somebody a very, very, very valuable asset if you're going to try to move a contract like that. And I don't know what Chicago can offer as a very valuable asset. No, they've got prospects. I mean, they've got I think Scott, Scott Powers was on our show several weeks ago. I think they had like more than a half a dozen players mm -hmm. averaging more than a point a game in their respective leagues. So they've got some offensive you, talent. You have to do what's best for your team. Yeah, Someone said, who, let, who should let the Red Wings off the hook? Well, a move paid off very, very well for the Coyotes to let the Red Wings off the hook for Natsuk's contract. So, yeah. I mean, you've got to do what's best for your team. Yeah. But when we were talking about L.A. a couple weeks ago and just throwing out hypotheticals, we're talking about L.A. maybe saying you have to take Dustin Brown's contract in this deal where we're giving you Drew Doughty for a bunch of, of your prospects and draft picks, Chicago doesn't have anybody like that they can trade because they're either centerpieces of the franchise that are making a bunch of money. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you get rid of that Brent Seabrook contract because he's not helping whoever he goes to. Yeah, I, I don't know how you do either. I, that's, that's on Stan Bowman. Are they, when he, and, when, and it's interesting when he rips into the team and says this is unacceptable. Well, you have a hand in that. When you look at that blue line and its lack of production – Who's eating up cap space there? The guy that you signed to a ridiculously long and lucrative contract. So look in the mirror, too. Taves and Kane both making $10.5 a year. And when you bring this up, you know, people will say, well, they're worth that. Well, I'm not saying they're not worth $10.5 What I'm saying is they're not I worth I mean, they're, they're not, but you, you didn't have Kane a choice. Might be. Patrick Jonathan Kane might Taves be, but Taves hasn't been. Hasn't been. And again, you can't, I'm not going to, to 
knock Stan Bowman for those two deals. No. You, you, they're not, they weren't going to let Jonathan Taves walk. But no. it's the, some of the other pieces around it that you have to be a lot more creative when you have those deals and in place. the assumption, too, was that the cap would keep going up at a and that, reasonable and, yeah. level. And, and this that, flat cap or yeah. you know, leveling off has really hurt them the last couple of years as well. But just, And we've talked about this on the show before, but not, in a, not after a series like that with the Blackhawks where they seem to be in a little bit more trouble than I think anybody would have really expected because we're talking longer term now. Is some of that on the players? We've seen a lot of players around the league to say, hey, instead of $10.5 million, I'll take nine million a year for the next eight years. Eight point seven million. Well, yeah, but you I mean, he's that, not though. the only one. You can't, though you can't restructure contracts like that. No, no, but I mean, when they no, when, when they, they sign those deals. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, and yeah, and I've said that to you. When when they look down the road, if if you truly want to win championships, is it about you getting the biggest possible payday, or maybe sacrificing a couple million so that? The team has yeah. flexibility to make sure you stay at a championship caliber and again, level. I never blame a player for taking the most no, money I possible. Either. I would but take more money this if you offered the, me more for this podcast. But this is the downside of, you know, you took a couple million dollars less, and guess who's getting to play with Brandon Saad for the rest of his career? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it, it's something that you have to weigh. And, again, it's, it happens in all, across all sports. And I, I don't blame any player for taking – you have a very finite period of time where you can make that kind of money. I will never fault a player for making it. No. However – you do kind of have to consider it's going to affect who you're playing with. I mean, you have to accept responsibility for that Absolutely. as much as anything. It's, it can be, you can say, well, you know, that's the business. That's the way the market works. Fine. But you have to understand that you had a hand possibly in the Blackhawks not winning as many championships as they could have. Yeah. That's where you I absolutely think did. Taves is more to blame because you, know, you can make the case, well, they're not being fair to him. They're, they're running him out there with rookies every, it seems like every other week with a new rookie or There's a new second-year player. But it's kind of his fault, and it's kind of Patrick Kane's fault, and it's definitely partially Brent Seabrook's fault, too. Again, it's not that those guys aren't worth that. It's the percentage of your team's mm-hmm. hit that people need to look at. When you, when you take that much percentage of your team's cap space, you have to score goals in the playoffs. And that's the you problem. You have to. If, if I'm a slugger for the New York Yankees, I'm taking every dime I can get. Because, yes, there's a luxury tax, yes, tax and all the other stuff. But in reality, my contract doesn't actually prevent the owners from signing another player. And this, in a hard cap league, it does. And to be fair, yes, it affects the, the line mates around him, but who's Crosby been playing with for most of this time? Austin Matthews has been linked hip to hip with Zach Hyman for half the season. Yeah. Like, I mean, at some point you have to elevate the players around you if yep. you're going to be a 10 plus million dollar number one center. Agreed. Maybe not to Patrick Kane levels of success, but to at least to be first line caliber player. Yeah, and to clarify, we're not we're not putting this all on Jonathan Taves. No. Again, there's there's so much nuance here. If Stan Bowman doesn't sign some bad contracts, Brandon Saad might still be on Jonathan Taves' left wing, and we're not talking about this. Yeah. So there's it's there's lots his... of things to consider, but yes. Taves definitely has a hand in this. It's not Taves' job to balance Chicago's salary cap. Nope. But I look at the situation and I see Blackhawks fans angry at Jonathan Taves, and my first reaction is, okay, well, this guy does a lot for you. But then I look deeper and I'm like, you're taking a major percentage of your team's cap hit. You're going to take criticism from people, and it's not, it's not because you're the captain and so you're just the lightning rod for criticism when the team fails. You had a hand in not keeping Brandon Saad or even Tavu Teravine. I mean, how much would it have helped to just have one of those guys? Saad particularly, yeah. like you said. because Saad he, would have mattered so much to this team. Uh, St. Louis, Minnesota. Not, not a shock at exactly all. Exactly, I think, how we it. would have expected it. And, and we're going to talk to Michael Russo later on in the show, so we'll get deeper into Minnesota. St. Louis looked good. We'll talk about them when we get into the second round. Uh, Edmonton, San Jose, same thing. We're going to talk to Curtis Pashelka about the Sharks, so we won't go deep into that right here. But Anaheim, Calgary, a sweep. It feels like forever ago now that this series ended. 
though it feels like forever ago that Calgary won in Anaheim because it, it is has forever been. ago. Yeah. Who was the last window? Like Kiprasov? <laughs> yeah. Probably. I might actually, yeah. as I think about it. Wow. Uh, anything to say about Calgary other than the fact that they still haven't signed their GM? Uh, or like, oh, I've built the numbers. Uh, they basically, their entire front office's contract's up right now. I yeah, think yeah, even their ticket people. How many did you say? 50? I'll, I'll, I want to double check to make sure, but I believe the number that was reported today was 50. Busy offseason for Mr. Uh, Mr. Burke. That's kind of Weird. surprising to me. It, I don't know. If you're, if you're Calgary, you were ahead of schedule a couple seasons ago. Last year was a step back, but probably to where you should be. This year you make the playoffs. But now you, start, you have to make progress from here. That's, that's where yeah. Calgary is in their development. Now it's time to start making progress. If you go out in the first round again next year or, God forbid, miss the playoffs, that's a problem. And you're entering this offseason with more uncertainty than I would have expected. I mean, you get to this point. Oh, and they need an arena, too. And a goalie. That sounds familiar. Yeah. It's from Elliot Friedman today. Uh, You can check out his uh, 30 thoughts on Sportsnet. The Flames have around 50 contracts in hockey ops expiring in June. That's insane. That's crazy, is what he said. <laughs> and he's right. You need to be hitting this key moment with stability, right? You should have your group at this point. Mm-hmm. You've got your group locked in for next year. You're looking at this. You're saying, we played Anaheim close in all four games. We don't want to lose. We don't want to get swept. But we're set. Next year, we're taking the next step. Now you don't even know who you're taking the next step with because you don't have a goalie, you don't have a GM, and apparently you don't have 49 other guys in hockey ops inked. I, I don't know how you let that happen. But that's, that's the thing. Why? How, why, how? why do you let it get to this point? What is the logical that's, explanation? It's not like the team is about to relocate. Like if it, I understand if this was, all right, well, well they do there's need an a, arena. a new arena. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're going to Quebec. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I could understand if this was a, a, coy- a coyote situation from five or six years ago. We're like, well, there's a really good chance they're not going to be playing in this market, so we're not signing anybody long-term, including hockey ops people. But that's not the case. But even then, when the Coyotes were owned by the league, they had their GM locked in place, and they signed yeah. their goalie to a long-term deal. I mean, I understand the Calgary probably doesn't want Brian Elliott as their long-term goalie at this point. But, but okay. But if half those people leave, what do you do? Would you find just going to find, oh, throw in half our new hockey ops operation going to start yeah. this year? On the fly. That's insane. Just picture Brian. That, that's Burke great for a anything. young team, too, bringing a bunch of people that didn't draft those players and to I, make I, hockey I, ops I, decisions. I haven't seen a good explanation for that. I haven't seen anyone explain the uh, yeah. logic behind that. Maybe because the there questions simply aren't answered. No, at least you could get their, their thinking yeah. behind it, right? But we haven't even seen that. Didn't they it's burn a year of Sam Bennett's contract at some <laughs> oh, point yeah, in the playoffs yeah. a couple of years ago? Has that come up before? I feel like it's been mentioned at some point. All right, so let's let's jump into the second round here. Let's. And let's start with Anaheim-Edmonton, which is uh, the series that I am most drawn to, I guess, outside of Pittsburgh-Washington because the potential there is, is for an epic series. But Anaheim-Edmonton, there's just such contrasting styles here. And Anaheim has a lot of the, the, the pieces that – teams that have success in the playoffs tend to have. I still don't know what Edmonton has yet because I don't know that we necessarily saw them pushed in the first round. I think this is going to be a really quick series. I think this is a terrible matchup. For, as I said at the beginning, really? as I said at the beginning of this whole thing, this is a terrible the, matchup for Edmonton. You're, you're in agreement with Eddie Olchek, who I spoke to. Here's, here's my plug for the fan rec story okay. that I'm going to have on the site tomorrow, presumably. Yes, Okay. which you can also find on the Internet. Yes, it is. <laughs> which you can find on your computer or phone. Direct quote from Eddie Olchek. I think it's Anaheim and everybody else in the West. He had him from the beginning. He thought Anaheim was the sleeper pick. And you, when you look at some of the logic behind this, uh, you know, we, we can talk about whether Randy Carlisle mattered that much. He won a cup forever ago with the Ducks. He is an experienced guy. But the way John Gibson's playing, and by the way, I think that's an underreported story. I think 
he's been terrific. They've got a really good, deep, young, mobile defense, and that's, that's shown up in this postseason. And Anaheim has scoring depth now like they haven't had. The Patrick Eves pickup was a good pickup. That was savvy. Raquel, Silverberg, those are, those are so they're beyond, we're beyond Getzloff and Perry. And they're very good down the middle. I yeah. mean, they're just, yeah, I, they're very good down the middle with Kessler, and yeah. I, I, and even Antoine Vermette. I mean, they've got... In they've the third, in the third line role, as you've mentioned before, in a third line role, that's a, you're perfectly happy with that. Your third line center wins every faceoff he takes. Right. And your second line center might win the Selkie and could easily, I shouldn't say easily, but he's going to be matched up with Connor McDavid. And, and your first line that's center... That's must-see TV to me. Every time those two, 17 and 97 are on the ice against each other. That's the matchup of the second round, correct? Yes. Crosby and Ovechkin don't face each other. They don't line up against each other. Kessler versus McDavid is the matchup of the second round. And that's going to be a hell of a test for... Four to seven games for Connor McDavid. For, for both guys now. Absolutely. Because Kessler's got to keep up. Oh, him. absolutely. That speed is crazy. But Kessler's going to get under his skin. Uh-huh. He's definitely going to do that. And he's he's a Selkie candidate, obviously. Maybe we slept on Anaheim a little too much this season. And, and maybe that's based on their past and their, their failures in the postseason. And, and Bruce Boutreau being there, let's be honest, yeah. played into that as well. But they've added some key pieces. Maybe they're still ready, and especially with Chicago out now. Do you see a better candidate to get to the cup well, final from the West? That's the key. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What if, <laughs> well, this is actually me coming back from the future, like I said a couple weeks ago. What if What if I came back from the future and told myself, no, Chicago's out in the first round. Who's the team? And I said I wouldn't believe that person. But then I would say Anaheim. And I think we all said Anaheim's the, a team to watch because they're built for the playoffs and they have success uh, on their resumes in the playoffs. And some of these guys have won cups before. And Kessler's the just... He's the sort of guy you want in the postseason for the reasons you both just laid out. Now, I should say, I mean, these two teams played five times this season, and McDavid had seven points in those five games, and Leon Dreisaitl had six goals and, and two assists for eight points. He didn't do much in the first round. McDavid didn't do much well, in the first round. had one action. Well, yeah, and he didn't get suspended, and then he came back and played really well in the final couple games to take San Jose out. That's, that's got to frustrate the Sharks. That's yeah, I mean, I, uh, all over. We've seen it. Yeah, that's a separate topic, but I'm continually frustrated by it. Just the attitude, the prevailing attitude. It didn't even surprise me that he wasn't suspended. And that's in itself a shame because when you look at the act and if you brought in a casual fan from outside and said, should a player be suspended for what he just did, the the overwhelming response would be yes, of course. He basically Draymond Greened him, except he didn't even hide it. Yeah, Draymond I mean, Green is good at hiding. It's embarrassing for the league when stuff like but, that. But happens. as as it's funny to watch the adjectives Craig tries to use when describing the the player safety department because it feels like every other article you have to mention it because somebody's doing something stupid and the players department says no we can one up you with our response. Yeah. <laughs> is the worst still yeah. the uh, Shea Weber just grabbing Henrik Zetterberg's head and oh, the, smashing the, it? Oh, the, the zero game suspension from I was it three years ago? Maybe that or the. On ice assault we witnessed in the Columbus Pittsburgh series. Yeah. But he at least got a game. <laughs> got one game. Yeah. Oh, he really showed he him. It over his, he broke his stick over his arm, not his neck. Okay. Yeah, and then came back. And that's 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 your retort. Elbowed him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, and that wasn't enough, right? Yeah. Ah, I didn't put you down by breaking my stick over your arm, so now I'm going to come back and finish the job. Yeah. Well, he, he's game. he's a finisher. You got to have those in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyway. the series – I think this goes seven, actually. And I, I'm not going to pick against Anaheim because they are clearly a better team. But I don't think we saw Edmonton's best in the first round. If we did, then Jamie's right. This is a four-game series. Yeah. I have so many questions about most of the teams in the postseason that I, I, I don't feel I have a read. Edmonton's so, the one with the most, though, right? Maybe. Uh, no, I, I mean, I wasn't impressed by Edmonton in the first round. No. I didn't think they were that good a team. I just thought San Jose was so beat up. 
they didn't look like themselves. What, the torn but, ACL, the torn MCL, yeah, and, and the, the broken face. Mouth as we, putting, yes, you know, we didn't, the we didn't mention the Patrice Bergeron played apparently the entire season with a sports hernia. Not the last week, the entire season. It's so, it's so pedestrian for Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Oh, no, Open I, ribs. So Slap spleen injury. I'm just thinking back now. With a sports hernia, he won 17 of 17 face-offs in a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember like when we were worried about him? Yeah. Ridiculous. I think this goes five. Basically, worried about his production, you mean? Yeah, early in the season, like, what's wrong with Patrice Bergeron? And he ended up having a very nice season. Yeah. Oh, and, he had a sports hernia. Oh, yeah, That's he was hurt the entire time. If a good <laughs> NHL player... I wouldn't show year, up to work here to edit stories and type on a keyboard if I had a sports hernia. <laughs> you barely do as it is. I've been <laughs> 82 games plus the postseason. It's insane. Basically, if an elite NHL player isn't productive for some reason, he's really hurt, and they just can't say it yet. Correct? I mean, that's basically what we're seeing. And that's, and that's like Jamie said earlier, that's what you always wait to hear. When a team gets yeah. eliminated, you're like, okay, now we're going to hear about the guys that were injured that we didn't know about that impacted the series. And here we go. And it, I didn't expect it to be quite so extreme with a couple of these guys. but Eric Carlson has go. two fractures in his heel. Right. Which that's, still that. plays. It's odd for, for a team that moved on. So you, you, yeah. never, you almost <laughs> never hear a winning team that tells you it right is, away. Until right. after the cup. Now, it's like I'll, Ottawa I'll thought they this, lost. The hairline fracture and the foot thing. Yeah. That is more common than people know. That happens all the time. You can tape that up, and if it's a hairline fracture, you can manage the pain and you can play with that. Not well. Well, Eric Carlson's well, obviously playing he's better than out of well. This world. <laughs> Granted, this is a guy that got himself off the ice with a severed Achilles. He just <laughs> hopped yeah. off the ice. Uh, so. But anyway, back to what What's you were Matt saying Cook about doing it. these days. Huh? What's Matt Cook doing these days? Uh, uh, watching the playoffs with the rest of us. I don't, I don't know what I'm seeing from Anaheim yet. I, do, I don't know if I should believe in them. I don't know what I should think about Nashville yet. Uh, St. Louis, I think I have a pretty good read on that. There's so many questions. The only teams, the only team probably that I feel comfortable about is the Pittsburgh Penguins. I thought they were the best team in the first round of the playoffs. I know Anaheim also swept, but look at the relative caliber of the opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Pittsburgh was just... So good, in spite of their injuries, I was I was blown away by their performance in the first round. Before we move on to St. Louis, Nashville, what what don't you feel like you know about Anaheim? Because outside of Pittsburgh and Washington, I feel the most confident in Anaheim at this point. Mojo, that's it, really. I don't know. Is that an advanced metric? Yeah, uh, I could explain the formula to you, but I'm not sure you'd understand. Okay, (laughs) minutes on jumping off. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really just do they have it? Do they have it mentally to get it done? And, and maybe Bruce Boudreau played into this. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to throw that on Bruce Boudreau. But Anaheim, Why not? Everybody else Anaheim everything hasn't else done it in so long. They've had opportunities. I've watched them fail in other opportunities. Can they finally get over that hump? They seem to have the pieces. They do seem to have the pieces to put well, it together. But, and you're right. They haven't done it in so long. But two years ago, they were within a game of going to the Stanley Cup with basically the same team, except now they have Ricard Raquel scoring 30 goals a year, and Jacob Silverberg is, is much better than he was back then. And John Gibson seems to be a pretty good goalie playing mm-hmm. up to his potential, even though he's only 23. So I would take issue with that a little bit just because they were really good two years ago. Chicago just got them in a, in a pretty epic series, and their response was to take Antoine Vermette in a roundabout way. So now they have him. He can't score against them in overtime. <laughs> uh, St. Louis, Nashville. I'm with you. I have questions about Nashville. Was that a flash in the pan, or is this team dangerous? I have a feeling this is going to be a long series. I think this could be a seven-game series. I don't think anybody's going to score in this series. Oh, gosh. I, well, I mean, you can't say Nashville was dull to watch. Against the Blackhawks, they were really impressive. 
No, they, they came, were. They came with speed, and they, they did score in that series. But the way Jake Allen's playing and the way Pecorino's playing. We'll see if it continues. Can they sustain it? And listen, I know people were praising Pecorino's play. I think it was NBC that had the stat that the Blackhawks had seven second-chance opportunities against him in four games. That's true. That's the defense That's, in front that's of the defense. They did a terrific job. Pecorino had to focus on the first shot. Most goalies in the NHL will be successful when that's the case. Who did you take in Anaheim Edmonton before we make predictions here? Anaheim. Okay. And Jamie took Anaheim, and I took Anaheim. And Jamie thinks it's short, and I think it'll be a long one. In this series, I, I think Nashville wins. Uh, just because St. Louis, in a lot of ways, did get outplayed in some of those games against Minnesota, they found a way to win. That's quality you have to have, and I, and I give them a ton of credit for that. And I'm only picking against them here because I have to pick against somebody in the series. But I, I, I think Nashville, with that defense, I just don't see St. Louis scoring much more in the series, whereas Nashville Louis, could St. score. St. Louis has a good defense, too, though, and, yeah. and, they, and they can play a harder, heavier game. We'll see how that impacts Nashville. Look, if Nashville can do what it did to the Blacks, if they can come with that speed, outwork them, et cetera, they have a really good chance in this series. But it's, it's a different opponent they're playing now. As uh, Minnesota wasn't able to match them physically. I, that's not Minnesota's style. Minnesota was really constructed more to beat the Blackhawks, yeah. to play that style and win that style. So it, it is a little bit of a contrast here, and I'm curious to see what plays out in this. And like you said, I, I just don't know what to think of the Predators yet. Are they finally coming of age? Because like uh, Anaheim, they have a lot of the pieces. I do think they have enough pieces to make a deep cup run. Yeah, it's an intriguing matchup because, you know, like Craig mentioned, they're both good defenses. I would give the, the dot on that to Nashville. But I, I don't want to overrate what Nashville did to Chicago because it's a new series and a new team. And I don't expect, you know, Nashville looked like they could run, they could sweep anybody in the league with the way that they played in the first yeah. round. And that's, I don't think that's going to happen. There's nobody hotter right now than the Blues from the way they ended their sure. season to the way that they, well, they beat the Wild. Anaheim. Anaheim made 15 0 3 in the last true. 18. But, yeah, but I mean, the Blues and the Ducks are, are so on fire. This is a tough series for me because, like you said, Luke, I don't think St. Louis played all that great all the time in that series. They were out. I mean, they would get up early and then just stop playing. And to Jake Allen's credit, that they still won games. Yeah. I'm going to take Nashville in this one, but I think this is a long series. I'm going to take Nashville in seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you that it's going I'm long. I'm torn too. on this one, too. I do think it's a seven game series. I like the fact that's. That, that uh, Stasny's back for the Blues, right? Yeah. That's going to matter. I... Craig's done a good job, too, of, of kind of avoiding making picks on this podcast. In we this have series to keep in coming particular, back to man, that's such a coin toss. But I, I guess I will go with Nashville, too, on the, simply on the belief that this team just took out the Blackhawks. They have to be feeling really good about themselves and on some kind of surge. That's interesting but, that that's – well, go ahead. I won't be surprised at all if St. Louis wins no, this series. No, I don't think anybody will. But that's interesting that that's your, your reasoning, and my reasoning really is just that I don't think it's a great matchup for St. Louis, just the way Nash, Nashville's strengths could be an issue for St. Louis. But I guess my, my bigger picker, picture, bigger picture? Bigger picture question here. Both of these teams won a playoff series last year, too, and St. Louis won two. Are we going to get to the point where the Central Division's one of the toughest divisions in hockey again next year? Because if St. Louis is going to be winning playoff series and Nashville's going to be winning playoff series and Chicago's going to be back, that's three teams right there that are going to be dangerous. And that's assuming, that's not even asking anything of Minnesota or Winnipeg or whoever else. Yeah, and Winnipeg, watch out if they get a goaltender. Because yeah. I do think that they're knocking on the door. Even There's like miss the playoffs. eight goalies available this summer, so they should get one. Yeah, I mean, if you can't find a goaltender this summer, then you're not trying. And they might not be, because they don't seem to be trying to find a goalie. 
But I don't know. I mean, are we seeing the Central Division start to rise back towards the top? Because it's been there the last couple of years. Maybe. Maybe. But, you know, I think, I think Nashville's still on the rise. I think Minnesota's on the slight decline. I don't know what, where to put St. Louis right now long term. So I'm not sure it's going to be that much better than it was the last year. They did trade away Kevin Shattenkirk and instantly get better somehow. Yeah, that was weird. Colton Franco's been really good. Yeah. Uh, over to the east, Penguins Capitals. We'll save the best series for last, obviously. So Penguins Capitals here, and then we'll get to Ottawa and New York later. <laughs> uh, we're really going to end on Ottawa and the Rangers. We're okay. ending on Ottawa every week. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that yet. Is there any imposed punishment on us? Okay. Way that this series lives up to the expectations. I sure hope so. I hope it does too. Because it feels like it obviously can't be the Cup final, but it feels like the Cup final in the second round. It definitely shouldn't be a second round matchup. One of these teams should be playing Ottawa, and one of them should be playing the Rangers. That's yeah. It's it's almost criminal that the Rangers or Ottawa is going to reach the conference final. Columbus is the first team to get screwed. Whoever loses this series is the second team to get screwed yep. by this stupid format this year. Other teams have in past years. And I think we're all in agreement that the team that does win this goes easily to the cup. Just wins the cup? Do we think this team wins the cup? I'll put them in the cup. Yes. I mean, Washington was my pick at the start of the year, so I'm going to stay health, with that. like relative yeah. health, yeah. like Pittsburgh yes. doesn't lose anyone else. I think Anaheim's a good, has a decent chance, too, out of the West, but... I mean, the two best teams in the playoffs right now are, are playing each other. Possibly the two best teams in the league are playing each other in the second. Yes. Possibly. Put all 30 in well, there. Yeah. I assume most of the well, teams that aren't in the playoffs are not going to be in that conversation. But they have yeah. the two best records. And yeah, we've lost, <laughs> we've lost four teams from the top seven yeah. in terms of points, so there's not many contenders left. But, yeah, it, at Washington and Anaheim would be an interesting series. It would be. If, if Pittsburgh gets there, I'm thinking they repeat. This, if, if Pittsburgh gets past Washington... With, without Latang and without Matt Murray. And, and just even more than that, this has felt like Washington's year since the start of the year. It really, it, it's, it, I mean, you know how crazy I was with the Blackhawks all year. They're going to make the cup. They're going to make the cup. I never said they were going to win the cup because I felt like it was Washington's year. And, and it is now. I mean, the path is cleared. If they, they beat Pittsburgh. They did get within 12 wins of making it to the cup final. So in defense <laughs> of your prediction. That's, thank you. I appreciate that. Reaching the cup final, not even yes. winning. Yes. yes, just reaching. This, this is Washington's best chance because no doubt. they're not going to be the same team next year, mm-hmm. and if they get past Pittsburgh, they're never going to have an easier path than, than they will have. While I'm sure every Capitals fan on earth would rather be playing Ottawa or anybody else on well, the planet Earth than be. the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's, this is if they are to win the Cup this year, this is the path that, in retrospect, you'd like to take. You know, the Red Sox had to beat the Yankees yep. in the ALCS to, to break their streak. The Capitals have to beat the Penguins. Yep. Now, if they lose to the Penguins, they'll swear up and down, man, they can't believe we're going to get to play Ottawa, as yeah. we should have been able to. But the reality is, is if they're going to get through anybody, they're going to have to get through Pittsburgh. And if they do get through Pittsburgh, I have a hard time seeing them lose yeah, anywhere else. Well, certainly then in you've that got next round. Then, yeah, you would think. But, you know, they haven't been in the cup final, so... Yeah. But they, don't, they tend to not even make it past the second round. No, they don't make it past the second round. Yeah, the second round. round has been their bugaboo. And the two, yeah. the two recent Cups for Pittsburgh, they had to go through Washington. I mean, there is some symmetry here. I, just with everything we've just said, and it's not that Washington isn't beat up, but Pittsburgh's very beat up. This is Washington's chance. This is it. I, and I will go Washington in six. Six? Okay. I'm going Washington in seven. That's, but I, that's my I don't. When they play that game seven, I'm not going to feel confident if I'm either fan base walking into that game. You just, but that would be it. Would be 
excellent for the NHL. I know they pretend they don't want – again, I know that they don't want to talk about individual rivalries, but this is the best case scenario for the NHL, this being a long series. I think the Capitals win this in 7-2. I think we'll either see Washington – you guys both said 7, I said 6. We're either going to see Washington – you know, they were pushed in that first round by Toronto just enough where they didn't get beat up and they didn't have to go seven games. And they've got some days off now before this first game, but they got pushed, so they're awake now. They're good to go. Pittsburgh's beat up, and Washington's really good. So – I think we're either going to see them figure it out by about game three and they're going to take over the series or they're just going to completely break down mentally and that's it Braden Holtby has to play better than he did in the first round for yes. him to win the series. But you like Holtby over Flurry. Yeah. Yes. Take- <laughs> I, 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 I fear the Capitals if they get behind. And I don't mean behind 0-1 in the series, but even 2-1. I start, I start to worry because, again, all the pressure in the world, again, is on Washington. It's not on Pittsburgh. That, that's true. There is no pressure on Pittsburgh, which is not a bad spot to be in. Ottawa, New York. <sighs> I, I got to uh, the, the Derek, the Derek Broussard. Because I still think bowl. The Broussard bowl. Yes, Broussard versus Benajad. Yeah. Remember we all, that, that trade broke like 10 minutes before we did a podcast over the summer. And we we're like, oh, is this really going to make a huge difference? Oh, yeah. It's going to decide who goes to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I laughed. <laughs> Craig is making unhealthy I, sounds. I just can't think of one of these teams in the conference final. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be the Rangers ultimately, yeah. but I don't know how impressive they'll look doing it. Uh, they didn't look impressive no. in the last round. They, again, they don't take care of the puck, and that, that's usually a recipe for disaster. I, I think what's disappointing about this series is it's the only series of the four remaining where – Whoever wins isn't winning the cup. You, know, you, can, you can watch Edmonton and Anaheim, and you can say Anaheim could win the cup. And maybe, you know, if Connor McDavid goes on a run, who knows what Edmonton's capable of. They're not winning the cup, but who knows? Or St. Louis, Nashville, they both look really good. Pittsburgh, Washington, obviously, are the two best teams. Whoever wins this series between Ottawa and New York is just going out in the next round. Maybe they can sneak into the cup, I guess, because you only have to win one series at that point. But they're not winning it. I'm taking Ottawa, too, by the way. I'm all taking in. Oh, you're taking Ottawa? Yeah. Um, I'll take the Rangers. Uh, the best player on the best – I know the best player in the series is on Ottawa, but I just the best goaltender is on New York, and I think they still have a more solid team. Although, boy, New York's blue line is a train wreck. Yeah, yeah it is. How many uh, games are you going with New York? I'm I think seven. Okay. I think we're going we're gonna to have to slog through seven of these Although games. Although win game seven in Ottawa. Do they have home, home ice? They do have home ice. Yeah, for some reason they do. Because of, they have yeah, because, card. yeah. Yeah, but who well, cares? They had a worse record. I know. It makes no sense. What, can we just be done with this playoff system? I'll take team negative goal differential to lose in, in seven. <laughs> Henrik Lundqvist in the game seven is yeah, I'll take basically unbeatable. Okay, I'm going to take Ottawa. And I guess I, I have to take him in six for it to make sense. I don't, I don't feel great about this. The greatest hope for Canada is Ottawa. Could you and imagine if like the Capitals? Teams, could so. you imagine if the Capitals lose to Ottawa in the Eastern Conference Final? Could you just after getting past the Penguins? Imagine. No, there's no way. There's could no you way. imagine? Zero percent to vanquish the Penguins. Wait, here's your dream matchup: Ottawa versus Nashville in the Cup Final. Oh, yeah. What's the worst for the NHL? That's Ottawa versus Nashville. That's, that's it, right there. Yes. What's the best for the NHL? Probably Pittsburgh or Washington. In, either either in the one of final. them. Well, I yeah. mean, they'd love to see the Rangers there too. Yeah, any anybody but market. Ottawa in the East would yes, be. That's, that okay. would be their in the West. I I don't think they care. At I this mean, point. 
it's not like Edmonton's a big TV market. I no, mean, yes, there's a store. I mean, Connor McDavid might have some draw, but Anaheim. Yeah, when you look at those other markets, yeah, you can't say you can't. Oh, that's the LA market. No, it's, it's not. not. Nobody in LA thinks it's the Nobody LA cares. market. Nobody cares about Anaheim and St. Louis and Nashville are small markets. So yeah, there's there's really not a big win in the West. Connor McDavid's probably their their dream scenario because they have the star player. Yeah, but I I just can't see Edmonton getting to the Cup final. I, I don't, but boy. What happens to Carl if, if Pittsburgh does somehow beat Washington oh, again? I mean, this I, I is... feel sorry for all Capital fans at that point because, as we've established, as, as the Capitals have said themselves, Barry Trott said it, we're all in this year. This group isn't going to be together next year. This is the best group we've had. In other words, we're not going to be as good next year. Yep. So this is your best chance. And, look, Alex Ovechkin starts to age at some point. And if you know next year you're not going to be as good, man, you start wondering about windows again but it, if it, you take out his knees with a low hit he doesn't i mean he's, he's still invincible at this point now, hypothetically like if a guy on toronto may have done that how about so the horseback ride i like that one better that was interesting <laughs> this is washington's year and i give them credit for not overreacting after losing in the playoffs last year because if they had done that then this wouldn't be washington's year they did show some resolve in this series now granted they're playing a really inexperienced team so maybe that was a good match in a way this is a team that's going to test us really push us but ultimately not going to be able to beat us. Maybe that would will steal them for the second round. I don't know. We'll see. Pittsburgh, again, I thought, was the best team in the first round of the postseason. Who, uh, and I will say if Pittsburgh is full strength, I would take them over the Capitals. But who, in, and I asked Craig this on the way over, so maybe this is more directed towards Jamie. But which fan base do you think is most just distraught after going out in the first round? And, and I'm going to... The caveat is take Chicago out of it because I understand that the logic is they expected to win a cup. But I guess my thought is my answer would be more Montreal or Minnesota because I think this is what they are. This is this is as good as they're going to be. They're going to maybe make the second round sometime. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. I mean, that's an empty feeling because you're not, you're not bottoming out and on the way up and you're not just going to bounce back and make a deep run next year. This is what you are, and Montreal fans thought they were winning the Cup this year. Yeah, I think it has to be one of those two because I think Sharks fans are just numb at this point. They've just been disappointed so often. They're just, I don't think they have feelings anymore. They're just there, just walking around with emptyless souls as they walk into the... Wow. Walking walk into the shark tank in and out of knowing the inevitable is coming come April or May. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it has to be Montreal because it, it's a combination of a massive city with expectations for their team that's always going to be above what their actual talent level is. It, New York's a lot of the, like that as well. Uh, but There's not a path forward in Montreal either. You look at Minnesota's yeah. prospects who we'll talk about with Mike Rousseau, they, they've got some talented prospects. So even if this current group doesn't get it done, you can look down the road and say, we four or five really good prospects coming, there's still hope for this franchise. But when you look at Montreal's system and, and what they have right now, what makes you think they're going to be anything more than they are right now? Real quick on Montreal before we uh, we get to Curtis Michelka here. Do they bring back Alex Radulov, and do they bring back Alex Galchenyuk? They have to bring back Alex Radulov. He was spectacular okay. in the postseason. He was probably their best forward. Okay. No, I'm not going to say probably. I'm he was. He absolutely that. was. He was their best forward. Max Pacioretty didn't have a point. Galchenyuk is an interesting question. I think there's a split there between the coach and the GM over what they want to do, which is never a good thing when you're talking about personnel. But Mark Bergevin may explore trades for him. I don't think the I don't think the coach wants that. But I don't know why you would want that. 
especially when you look at their roster and realize where the problems are. They're not strong enough up the middle. And I know they weren't even playing the guy at center. Neither coach now, was. Yeah, neither coach. So there, there are questions there. There are questions about his defensive game, his game away from the puck. But he's 23. Work with him on that. Teach him that. Why would you weaken your center position when it's already a weak spot on your team and yeah. one of the most glaring reasons you haven't had playoff success? So he's an RFA right now. And he was the third overall pick in the draft a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Teams would line up for Alex Galchenyuk. And I would think so. I think it would do him good to get out of there because they don't seem to know how to use him. But he's already been productive even there. It's not like he's struggling and needs a change of scenery. Yeah. After the coaching change, didn't he have the second most points on the team? Uh huh. And okay, by the way, Pacioretty didn't have any points in the playoffs either. But nobody should. I mean, they're 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 angry with him, but they're not going to throw him under the bus and no. say, "Yeah, we need to get rid of him." So. Well, they already did that last year when they said he's the worst captain in the league, That's allegedly. True. So we move past Fun that. days in Montreal. 17 goals, 27 assists, 44 points in 61 games for Galchenyuk because a 22 slash 23 year old. Missed some games with an injury, but still was pretty productive. If you're trading for him, you're trading for him as a center, correct? I would think so. You'd have to try. Okay. He's much more valuable to you there. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's talk Sharks after a brutal first round with uh, – players skating around on one knee and no face. We'll talk to uh, Curtis Pichelka right now and get insight on what's next for the Sharks. All right, we're joined now by Curtis Pichelka of the Bay Area News Group. You can find him on Twitter, at Curtis Pichelka, talking all things San Jose Sharks. And Curtis, I guess I'll start you off with this. I mean, the San Jose obviously makes it to the Cup last year. They go out in the first round this year. I don't know. It Obviously, it's disappointing to go out in the first round after that, but considering the injuries this team had, is it a little more acceptable than maybe it is for some of these other teams around the league? Well, I think it's, it's yeah, it's a little bit more understandable for sure. I mean, you've got your top two centers basically dealing with otherwise injuries, you know, injuries that would have, would have otherwise kept them out for, you know, in Dorton's case, probably up to at least three, three four months. <laughs> and then uh, Logan Couture, obviously, probably for, you know, at least a, a month as he, as he got his... Uh, his, uh, his teeth, uh, you know, rearranged and fixed. So, uh, you know, I mean, considering what uh, what they dealt with, um, you know, to, to win a couple of games against the Oilers, uh, you know, it was it was an impressive showing. But I think if you ask the, the Sharks, they will tell you that, you know, even though that they lost the series, they, they felt that, you know, if another break here and there, they probably could have advanced and gone on to face the Ducks in the second round. So, uh, you know, understandable under considering the circumstances, but I think the Sharks feel that they should uh, they should see, they should still be playing right now, even though they they had to deal with uh, a couple of uh, devastating injuries toward the end of the year. Come back to that in a moment, but can we just talk about what Jeff, Joe Thornton just did? What what did he say about it? What did the team say about it? This this is just I know this is just part of NHL lore, but it just sounds like complete insanity from the outside. Yeah. It, <laughs> When, when, when Pete DeBoer first mentioned it yesterday, um, you know, he, we, no one went into specifics during the playoffs, of course, but yesterday we, it was a lockout cleaner day for, cleaning day for, for the Sharks. And, and uh, talking to Pete DeBoer, he, he said, uh, you know, I don't know if the injury list has come out yet, but, uh, but uh, Joe Thornton was playing with a torn ACL and an MCL, and, you know, his knee is basically just floating there, and our, our, our jaws just dropped. We were like, what? <laughs> how did he? How did he play? How did he? How did he move with those kind of injuries? And, and um, you know, just talking to you know, getting a feeling from from the Sharks as the series was going on. When when Joe was, was making his return, it was it was uh, they they recognized what uh, 
what Joe was, was trying to fight through to play. And, and uh, maybe even the Oilers kind of had a sense of it, too. Todd McClellan is still a guy who, who keeps in touch with Joe and is good friends with Joe. Uh, you know, he basically said, you're going to have to cut his leg off in, in order for him not to play. So they knew he was, he was going to be serious, but they also knew that, that, that Joe was, was going to make every effort to, to come back. And, um, you know, to playing with those type of injuries, you know, the, the assumption, I guess, I guess, is that, you know, as long as you are able to kind of protect it in some way and, and it can't get any worse, then, you know, he's going to go out there and see what he can do. And the remarkable thing is that he played, you know, 22 minutes in game three or game five and another 22 minutes in game six. And Trucks had some power play time in those games for sure. But still, I mean, that's that's heavy minutes for a guy who's, who's, uh, who's got basically two torn ligaments and would otherwise be on the shelf for three, four months. So... Uh, they they recognize what he was trying to do, and, and uh, certainly it's one of those one of those things that's going to be remembered by a lot of people in San Jose for a long time. From a practical standpoint, how do you protect it? I think the the quote from DeBoer was his knee was basically floating. How do right. you how do you protect that sort of injury and allow a guy to play? Well, that's a, you know that's a good question. I I don't know if there's anything extra you can really do. I mean, you know, you know, obviously to try to to, to, to try to secure it as, as much as possible or brace it as much as possible and then, you know, give a little bit of extra protection there without making it so bulky that you can't skate. So, um, he's, you know, they were able to kind of just get him out there and he was able to kind of skate. He skated on it like three days after it happened, which was remarkable. <laughs> he didn't, I mean, it wasn't going full speed or anything, but he was out there just kind of testing it out, uh, you know, a few days after, after the injury took place which kind of opened everybody's eyes. and um, So they were able to kind of just, you know, do what he was, you know, just get it to a place where he was easily able to play. Um, you know, obviously there was some, a lot of pain involved and, and that kind of thing, and I'm sure he, 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 he took some, some painkillers to sort of help him get by. But um, but he was, you know, it's just one of those remarkable things. And, and uh, you know, I think once, if we ever, because we talked to Joe yesterday before we talked to DeBoer and we talked to Doug Wilson, and he was just saying, "Well, I'm gonna go get checked out by the doctor right now," and and wasn't really let on, letting on as far as the, the seriousness of the injury. And then, uh, you know, after the, after we talked to all the players, that's when we talked to Boer, and that's when we talked to Wilson, and that's when we really find out the extent of it. So, um, you know, as far as you know, the, the protection he needed, well, I guess they, they did enough, and, and uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I think it's you know probably for for Joe's future that 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 he didn't have to continue to kind of test it out and see what, uh, see what the need could withstand considering all the injuries it was going through. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Joe Thornton's future because obviously he's an unrestricted free agent. Patrick Marlowe's an unrestricted free agent. Is there a sense that this, this, this early exit, does that injury, does, has anything in the last few weeks changed what you think might be the future for one or both of those guys in San Jose next year, or is that still kind of up in the air? I think it's still a little bit up in the air. I mean, both both players, both guys said yesterday that they would like to be back. They'd have no, you know, intention of retiring or stepping away. Um, I think in the case of Joe Thornton, it, it's, they'd like him back, and it's just a matter of maybe working out the term and and the dollar amount. Uh, you know, just trying to figure out what what you can do as far as his contract uh, going forward, because you look ahead a year and. and you know, Mark Edward Vlasic is going to need a big raise, and Mark Jones is going to need a big raise, and and uh, you know we've got a few other guys who might be might be in that uh, situation.
situation too where they're going to need new contracts and so trying to fit try to work out a number that works best for him and works best for the team and, and also with uh, with Patrick Marlowe I think you know you say he came out yes said yesterday I think I've got another good five years in me and I don't know if that's <laughs> that's uh that was just uh you know what 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 he hopes for if that's realistic or not but um, you know the Sharks are, are going to proceed probably a little bit more cautiously, I think, with him than maybe Joe, just because uh, you know, uh, you know, there's maybe a feeling that uh, the Sharks don't want to go too long of a contract with Patrick Marlowe. Maybe, maybe one, possibly two years, and, and that might be it. And if Patrick Marlowe feels that he can get a longer deal elsewhere, then maybe that's the route he takes. So um, I'm interested in seeing. How it all kind of plays out, my gut tells me that Joe will be back and, and Patrick might be, might be moving on here. From the outside, it doesn't appear there's the same doom and gloom to the end of the Sharks season as we've seen when they've lost in the playoffs in the past. Is that because you know, of some of the older players that you're talking about, them still believing that there is an opportunity to win a cup, there still is a window here if they can get those players signed? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think it's... There was there was a definite feeling among among the team yesterday that, that if they went into the playoffs fully healthy, that they could they could definitely make a run like they did last year. Um, no, obviously last year you need, you, you need breaks. Uh, it was a break to the Sharks that they didn't have to play the Ducks. It was a break that they didn't have to play the Blackhawks last season. And so maybe they you know they they got to play Nashville in the second round, and then they got to play St. Louis in, in the conference finals. Uh, that worked out in their favor, I, in my opinion. Um, you know this year. You know, they, if they would have beaten the Oilers, they would have to play the Ducks, and the Ducks are obviously just red hot right now, uh, a team that's, you know, just firing on cylinders and as deep as any and as, as tough as any team in, in the Western Conference, in my opinion. So, um, so that, you know, it would have been interesting to see how, they, how it plays out. I think next year they, they, they see that, you know, the, the guys that got experience this year, they, they have a little bit more experience going to next season. They've already got some, some kind of cornerstones in place with, with Brent Burns, with Logan Couture, uh, Joe Pavelski, uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, and Martin Jones. So um, this is not a team that's going to be you know, starting a rebuild anytime soon. They're, they're, they're going to make another run or do, do what they can to make another run next season. You know, Curtis, whenever Joe Thornton and, and or Patrick Marlowe either do retire or, or end up on another team or whatever, do the Sharks feel like they have a good collection of, of another generation of players coming up? Is a lot of pressure falling on a guy like Timu Meyer? Are there other guys that they are excited about that they haven't really established themselves yet, but they think can still provide offense down the line? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, their American League team, uh, the Barracudas, finished first in, in the league uh, in the Western Conference. They're playing in the Calder playoffs right now. Um, they've got some. They've got talent down there. Whether or not it's it's Grade A. Talent, guys who could fit into a top six role, uh, top six forward role, or guys who could fit into a top four defenseman role. I mean, that kind of remains to be seen. I, you mentioned Timo Meyer. To me, he's got he's the guy who's got the highest ceiling uh, of any of their players in their system right now. Um, Danny O'Regan is a, a guy who is the American League Rookie of the Year. He's a center, uh, but he's a smaller guy. He's not he's not uh, a big player like. Uh, uh, like like a Joe Thornton or a Tomas Hurdle, where he can maybe you know absorb sort of a lot of the punishment that, that a lot of centers have to take. So um, kind of remains to be seen. There is talent down there. Whether or not it's it's, it's top end talent, kind of you kind of have to wait and see. But um, you know if those guys do move on, Thornton and Marlowe, then that 
that leaves you a little bit of cap space to, to go out and try to get a, a top-end forward or, um, you know, maybe a guy who can, who can fill in sort of that scoring role. You're never going to fully replace a guy like Joe Thornton and what he's able to do out there. But with a guy like Patrick Marlowe, you know, putting his, his leadership skills aside, if you can find a guy who's able to score 25 a year for you, then I think that's, that's something that the Sharks will definitely take a look at. Curtis, how are the Sharks feeling about the Mikhail Bodker signing and that future? Well, I, this year was was uh, a trying year for, for Mikel, no doubt about it. Now, the Sharks say that he, they felt that he got better as the, as the year went on, you know, got more used to what the Sharks like to do offensively. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's three more years at $4 million a year cap hit. So, um, you know, they're, it's a little bit of buyer's remorse maybe, but... Um, you know, if he comes back next season and shows a little bit of improvement um, offensively, um, and you know at the other end of the ice too, I think the Sharks could can kind of live with that. Um, but overall, it was definitely a disappointing year for for Bodker. Um, he, he 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 fills you know 10 goals, 26 points just you know, just wasn't enough. And, and obviously last year with the Coyotes and you know before year you know prior years too, a lot of those points. Came points he got came on the power play and he was a member of the second unit this season with the Sharks um, wasn't a whole really a really productive unit um, so he got to, he had to get kind of used to that too sort of a more of a, a straight ahead style whereas the top unit obviously is you know those guys are entrenched you know Thornton, Marlowe, Couture, Pabelski and Burns I mean no one's gonna crack that top five at least this year they weren't so um, and so I mean it's you know, I think I think going forward, I think people feel that you know if maybe Bacher can improve his play uh, and uh, going to you know, going to next season. But you know, it's a big if. I don't know if I don't know if, if Mikel's ever going to really pan out as a guy that can really really be effective in, in Pete DeBoer's system. I wanted to ask you about one other player, just because he made such an impact last year in the postseason, and this may have had something to do with the fact that they were so banged up at the center position and that impacts everyone around them. But Joe Pavelski this year just didn't look like the same player we saw last year in, in the postseason. Yeah, he, uh, we asked him about his health you know, yesterday, and, and uh, you know, he said he was, he was fine. There wasn't any, any issue. But, you know, I mean, last year, the, the prior year, Joe Thornton had such a terrific season. You know, point a game, 82 points in 82 games. And, you know, I think, I think Pavelski is a guy who has really thrived uh, playing next to Joe for the last few years, and Joe struggled this year. The production didn't come for him, and, and I think that affected Joe Pavelski a little bit too. And um, you know, you, he's a guy that you know, last year in the playoffs would come up with those big, timely goals. I mean, he meant, I, I still remember Game Five against St. Louis in the conference finals, and Joe Pavelski just took over, and he basically won that game for the Sharks. And they came home the next day for the next game and and, and, and clinched the series. And so. Those type of those, those type of timely goals just didn't really happen for, for Joe. This, uh, you know, in the playoffs and you know, late in the season, he had one goal in his last 13 or 14 games, and and uh, the magic just wasn't just wasn't quite there. And so I think he's going to be a guy who uh, you know has to take a you know kind of he's going to really work hard to sort of uh, get back to back, back to what he what he's used to doing. And you know, a 30 goal season, he had 29 goals this year. That's not a bad season for any starter from any stretch, but at the same time, it's it's not quite what he was he was used to producing in, in 
years past. So um, Sharks need him to take uh, sort of be a little bit better next year. And like, the same goes for for a lot of guys in that team too. They just have to uh, get a little bit better for for next season. Curtis, I got to ask you about Brent Burns. He had a tremendous year. Obviously, the 29 goals, the 76 points. But just two goals in his last 29 games, counting playoffs, did anything change? I mean, I know he was at a ridiculous pace before that, so you couldn't expect him to sustain that. But that's kind of a out-of-character offensive drop-off for him, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, not uh, you, don't, you don't see a guy like him go through kind of stretches like that. And You know, I mean, I think a lot of it points to the power play, and that's their, their struggles, especially late in the season. And, and you know, the fact that, you know, teams, uh, you know, when they first game plan for the Sharks, they, the first player they talk about is trying to slow down Brent Burns. He's such a, a major part of that team's offense that if they feel that they can kind of get in, get in his way, maybe be a little bit physical with him, um, you know, block his shots, just take away his time and space to make plays, then uh, they, could, they would have a pretty good chance of, of slowing down the Sharks. And I think that's what you saw maybe for the last, uh, you know, three weeks of the regular season into the, into the playoffs. He had, you know, he was, he was shut out for, um, you know, five of the six games against the Oilers. He had three assists in, in game four, and that's seven enough blowout. But other than that, the Oilers really tried to put the clamps on him and, and uh, you know, take away his sort of playmaking ability. And, you know, I, I've, Brett, uh, you know, had some good games in the playoffs, but there's also games where you kind of scratch your head and you're like, yeah. You know, the passing's a little bit off, or just the just the timing is, isn't quite there. And so, uh, you know, he's still a guy I think that, that is the favorite to win the Norris Trophy this year. But um, it just goes to show that he's going to be a huge part of this team going forward. And if, and if he can't produce, then there's going to be an extra emphasis or onus on other players to, to come through if this team wants to continue to to uh, to be successful for for next year and beyond. Curtis, last question for you. Uh, kind of an offbeat one. Did did you get a good look inside Logan Couture's mouth? Yeah, he uh, he posted a photo on Instagram. I think uh, last night or this morning, and it was pretty. It's pretty gnarly. If you guys want to take a look at it, <laughs> it's uh, uh, you know he. It seemed like he was getting a little bit better. He, you know, as far as speaking, as 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 the last couple of weeks went on here. You know, when he first spoke to the media after it happened it was you know you could tell it was very it was still very fragile still very painful for him to, to just speak um and uh towards the end of the playoff uh towards the end of the first round there he was speaking a little bit more freely but still uh you know today or yesterday i think he had to go go to the dentist and start to get some some major work done and, and uh, yeah no it was it was pretty gnarly and when it first happened you knew it was kind of serious because he he hit the deck and then he skied right to the bench and, and uh, right to the room and has to be taken to the hospital. So um, he's uh, he's a tough guy. I mean, just like Joe Thornton, he's a tough guy to, to, to be able to come back and at least give what he had for the last, uh, you know, for the for the, for the six game uh, first round series against the Oilers. It's pretty remarkable what he was able to go through to, to come back and play. Yeah, I just looked at the picture. It's uh, it's brutal. Curtis, uh, <laughs> thanks thanks for the time. Uh, good stuff as always, and uh, go ahead and enjoy the offseason. All right, thanks, guys. Anytime. That's Curtis Pashelka. Again, you, you, you want Sharks news, follow him on Twitter, at Curtis Pashelka, P-A-S-H-E-L-K-A. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about Logan Couture's face. That's, uh, that's, that's a rough way to to, uh, to go through the playoffs. Yeah, that's... Uh... 
just again, I mean, we talk about this so we talk about this every spring. Obviously, what NHL players play with, but it, it just never. I guess it never sinks in. It never. It never becomes dull or oh well, yeah, of course they do it. it it's, I'm still amazed by some of the things that these guys endure just to get on the ice. And you, I mean, NFL players play with some crazy injuries. I'll oh say yeah, that, absolutely. I just. I don't think anybody goes to this degree, and, and we've questioned whether it's even wise, okay? It probably goes beyond wisdom in a lot of cases, but it's just the mentality of this sport. It's just crazy, the things they play with. It, it, it's almost remarkable. Every single time, you, you right after a series, you kind of wait to see the, the laundry list of injuries that come out of it. And, you know, we, we, we're gonna, we right. talked earlier in the show about Patrice Bergeron's injury, and you know, it's just, it's it's injury of the year, right? It's, it's there's it's, always it's something crazy. <laughs> yeah, but San Jose outdid everybody this year. They I, mean, did, I didn't they even did. know it was possible <laughs> yeah. to play with a torn ACL and MCL. That's not, what I'm not getting a at. How do you matter. stabilize yeah. that? Team? How do you if skate? You, if you if you just describe it as the knee was basically floating, how do you stabilize that so you can play hockey? And he had two points. How many players <laughs> didn't have two points in the playoffs this year that now have to look at Joe Thornton and be like? That guy didn't have a knee, and he outperformed me. I think all but two Blackhawks. Yeah, so Bodker had two <laughs> points on two healthy knees. That's true, but he didn't play as many games. So with what he was talking about with the Sharks, by the way, just a couple of things that stuck out with me, and we can wrap this up, but I can't imagine they're bringing Patrick Marlowe back. I, Which is look, interesting because he was productive in the playoffs. But if you're looking for cap flexibility, right, that that's an obvious place to look. I, yeah. I can see bringing Joe Thornton back. I I, listen, nobody's, nobody's signing a 37-year-old forward to a three-year or more contract, okay? These guys are looking at one, maybe two years, and Joe Thornton coming up, knee reconstruction, I'm guessing that's a one-year contract. So if, if you want flexibility to improve this team, add some things, Patrick Marlowe is an obvious answer, right? You, you upgrade in that position and try not make, to make the same mistake that you made with Mikel Marker when you signed him. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, you're right. I mean, they, they don't have a whole lot of players coming off the books. I think San Jose has done a better job. And obviously, they were just in the Cup last year, so they, they've done a really good job. But a better job than maybe L.A. in terms of, you know, L.A. missed the playoffs this year, and I don't know if they're getting back anytime soon. San Jose went out in the first round, but it wouldn't shock any of us if they won the division and won a couple playoff series next year. There's there's some questions this offseason, but nothing's given. The Pacific is... The Pacific is definitely changing, maybe more so than any other division, and I think San Jose's done a pretty good job of not getting caught up too much in that and getting sucked out of the top two or three spots. I think they're still a contender. Oh, I completely agree. You and I talked about this. I, I think if San Jose's healthy, they win this series against Edmonton. I, I, I think they would have escaped this round. They might have gone even deeper if they're healthy. And it makes sense to bring Joe Thornton back because he's still, he's still a productive player. Now, he's, he's not going to sign for $6.75 million, so no. that's going to give you even more flexibility, but it, now you're talking about what? You know, seven, eight, nine million dollars in flexibility in the cap if you can get Thornton on a lesser contract and get rid of Patrick Marlowe. That, that enables the Sharks to do some really good things in the offseason. You know, it, it, they still have to do them, and it's not as easy as just going out and getting the players that you want. You still have to execute those trades or sign those free agents, but they should have some flexibility in spite of the, uh, you know, the restrictive free agents. They have to re-sign guy like uh, Eunice Donskoy. Yeah, but I mean, they they still have Logan Couture. And have you looked at the picture yet? Should I show you the picture and gauge your reaction on the air? Okay, so uh, make sure. You want my reaction yeah, just, on the just air? Just go ahead and, and look. It's going to be right here on this side oh. of the screen. Yeah, oh. that's. But 
but he will be back uh, next year. And I mean, they've got Joe Pavelski, and they've got they've got they've got weapons, and they've got that experience, and they've got guys like Timo Meyer on the way up. So it makes sense that maybe the disappointment, while it's there for the Sharks, isn't as extreme as it is somewhere like say Minnesota where we're going to go right now and talk to uh, Michael Russo. All right, we're joined now by Michael Russo. You can find him on Twitter, Russo S. Trib, covering the Minnesota Wild, uh, closer than anybody. And this was, at least from the outside, a pretty disappointing finish. So I, I guess, Michael, we'll, we'll start there. What's the, just the, sort of the vibe around the team today going out in the first round in a year where the West really seems to be wide open? Yeah, uh, the vibe around the team is shockingly uh, positive. Uh, you know, if, if we... Uh, I think a lot of people expected us to show up today, and, and Chuck Fletcher was going to pull a Stan Bowman, like uh, the uh, closing press conference uh, that the Chicago Blackhawks GM had the other day and just rip him to shreds and say it was unacceptable and a complete failure. And he did the exact opposite. He used the word disappointing once, but he pretty much uh, lauded the regular season that they had and, and uh, record season and said a lot of positive things and that you can't take that you can't take an 82-game picture and just throw it away when you get unlucky in the first round against a team like St. Louis, who was outplayed for the most part of the series, but yet figured out a way to win four out of five games. So I was still a little shocked because this is the second year in a row the Wild have bowed out in the first round. Is a team that, with its nucleus in five straight years, made the playoffs but only got past uh, the first round twice. And, um, you know, remember when they made the Hansel White trade just less than two months ago, it was all about winning a cup, and, and uh, they didn't come close to reaching their expectations, yet uh, that all seems to be forgotten today. Mike, when you look at this team, I guess when they look at this team, what do they feel is missing? You know, uh, it's hard to say. I think that Bruce Boudreaux feels that physicality both up front and on the back end. I mean, they were really, uh, you know, uh, they have a bunch of mobile defensemen, but not really a bunch of physical defensemen. Um, in the first, uh, you know, shots for and and and, but they just couldn't finish. They couldn't beat Jake Allen, who played out of his mind. But this has been a constant theme for the Wild. Uh, you know, regular season and saying that they had the second goals to the five team. But, you know, oftentimes in the playoffs, they can't figure out a way to finish. And their best players during the regular season are oftentimes shut down in, in, the, in the playoffs. So we saw that again this year. So I think they're going into this offseason again saying that they need more of a finisher, um, need to figure out a way to get a physical defenseman, need to figure out a way to get a, whether it's a able backup goalie. They didn't have anything close to that. And I think that they felt they wore Dubnik into the ground down the stretch uh, where he basically had to play a month straight because they couldn't trust putting Kemper in the net. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know. It, it was a, it, I was a little surprised today by the Wilds' uh, kind of tack in trying to paint a rosy picture on, on uh, this very quick playoff loss. Do they have the flexibility to add the pieces that you're talking about? That's a good question. I mean, right now they've got to re-sign uh, Nino Niederreiter and Mikhail Granlin, Eric Halla. They're going to lose probably uh, a in and expansion. The Wild would hope that that, ex- that defense make a big contract to open up space. Uh, they definitely have the flexibility to add a backup goalie. I think physical defensemen, they would probably have to come via trade. I just don't see a lot out there that's appetizing on the open market. So, uh you know, it's a real uncertain offseason just because of the impact that expansion will have on this team. 
And, um, you know, again, they, they would love to try to trade Jason Pominville. He makes $5.6 million in cap, $5 million. They have a limited no-trade clause. They figure out a way to get rid of him. Michael, just looking at this team from sort of an outside perspective, obviously they were one of the best teams in the league the first half, a little bit more than the first half of the season. And then they hit that slump, and in a lot of ways it seemed like they were going into the playoffs the wrong way, whereas St. Louis was, was surging at just the right time. Is there any one or two things you can put your finger on as, as to what maybe changed towards the end of the year? I know you said Devin Dubnik was kind of getting run into the ground, but I mean, they didn't really score in the playoffs either. Yeah, I mean, I think Dubnik, I mean, if you're just talking about the end of the regular season, what changed, I think Dubnik was, was terrible. Uh, you look at his February and March numbers, they were absolutely awful, and so that's the big thing. Uh, you know, they, they really, whether he was tired or, or what, they, you know, he, he really fell apart, uh, you know, cost himself a, you know, remember for up until uh, mid-February, I mean, he was a guaranteed that's no winner, let alone a finalist, and he wasn't even a finalist at the end of the day because his numbers turned to such uh, so bad. Now they did hardly lost to the playoffs because of him. That was definitely not him. But um, you know, they just they just became their team is not very mentally strong, in my opinion. I mean, this happens all the time where they just you know they hit a skid and it just compound compounds itself. And and what really was shocking about this one was that they went the first four months of the season without. Uh, you know, from early November on until uh, the until the end of February, without regulation losses in a row, and then all of a sudden it just became a constant uh, spiral out of control in March. So, I think it started with with goaltending. They had a shooting percentage in the first uh, you know three quarters of the season that was probably unsustainable, and finally that absolutely returned to the mean. Uh, you know, their their shooting percentage was like something like crazy, like twelve percent at one point for the first uh, four and a half months of the season, and then they, they hit about two and a half in March. So uh, that became back to normal. So you had a horrible shooting percentage with a horrendous save percentage, and you get a horrendous month like they had in March. You mentioned the team not being very mentally strong when things are going poorly. Is that fixable? Is that something you can change in an off season? Well, I don't know if you can. I, you know, a lot of it, I think, is the identity of this team. You have a core, a nucleus of this team that's intact, that's going to be here. And uh, for whatever reason, this happens year after year after year. Now, in the playoffs, again, it's hard to pin that on, on you know, being mentally unstable. I mean, you know, they just, they really just, you know, I, I don't want to use the excuse that they ran into a hot goalie, but they, you look at every single statistic in the playoffs, and they outplayed the Blues, and they just could not score. Uh, they scored eight goals in the in the playoffs against Jake Allen, and so you know they very easily could be preparing today for the second round rather than uh, wrapping up the season. So uh, you know that that's the other thing here is that if in the postseason they've lost different types of teams and they've lost different ways. You know, against Chicago, uh, they seem to have a mental block against them, but they also couldn't beat Corey Crawford. Same thing this year. But the Blackhawks are a very fast, non-physical team, and the, and the Blues are the opposite. So they, they lost that. Last year you go into the playoffs, and they scored plenty of uh, goals, uh, at least enough to, to win a series. But they couldn't get a save from Dubnik, and they didn't defend well. So, you know, they've lost different ways. So, But in this one, it's amazing to me when you look at the analytics that they are not preparing for the second round today. It really is extraordinary. So, so maybe you you chalk it up a little bit to that. Let me let me ask you something. First of all, let's get a what's a prognosis on Eric Stahl right now? Is are they are they feeling like 
this isn't going to be a lingering issue? Is it too early to tell? What, what's the situation there? Well, you know, as you know, with concussions, it's always too early to tell. You just don't know. I mean, I can tell you we talked to him today. He, uh, he looked great. Uh, has a bit of a stiff neck, but he checked out everything. Uh, everything checked out in terms of structural damage to his neck and back. So that's thank God. But uh, you know, with, with he says that his, his uh, concussion symptoms have subsided a little bit, and he's just feeling better and better. So he at least believes that this is something that'll go away, and that he'll be more than ready for next season. Okay, because that's that's I mean that's a critical piece for them, Mike. They brought him in because they knew they needed that piece, and I think he surprised a lot of people. But they need him to sustain that level especially yeah especially because uh you know it's I, I don't see how they're going to be able to bring martin hansel back and and so you know yeah you, you need Saul to come back and be stronger than ever i mean you know he really fell on the night today talking about his postseason he's a guy that led them in goal scoring in the regular season second in points and in the playoffs he didn't have a goal and he really there was no hiding there were no excuses from him he said he needed to be better in the playoffs and wasn't he was extremely disappointed about that and you know, Miko's another guy, only had one goal in the playoffs, and only had two goals in 33 games at one point down the stretch. Um, they need more from him as well. And, and again, um, if, you, if you trade Eric Hollow or you have Eric Sinek coming back, they're going to have to continue to get better in the middle. And, and uh, again, Hansel is going to be probably the top free agent available in free agency. He admitted today that, or he acknowledged today that he definitely wants a long-term deal, and that's something that the Wild probably can't commit to him. How do their prospects factor into all this, Mike? Minnesota is one of those teams that's talked about that, that has so many good prospects, none of which came to the Coyotes, by the way, in that Martin Hansel trade. <laughs> How do they factor into all this? Do they, do they see, okay, maybe we have more impact players that are going to be introduced to the lineup, and that could be yeah. a part of the solution? Yeah, I mean, their prospects are young, though, and, and so that's the thing. I mean, Eric Sinek has a really good chance of being here. Um, you know, I still think he's young in his development, so whether or not he could be here all of next year or might need some time in Iowa, that's big. Luke Cunnan captained the United States to, uh, to gold at the World Juniors, but he's fresh out of, out of college at University of Wisconsin. He had an ATO at the end of the season and performed pretty well in Iowa, had a hat trick down the stretch. But can he step in right away and play here? Uh, you know, probably unlikely to be an impactful player. So they do have a lot of really good young prospects, but they're young. And so, you know, some of these guys will 100% have to be on the team. There's no doubt about it. They're going to need some $800,000, $962,000, million-dollar players on next year's roster, uh, you know, to be periphery-type guys. Um, but you also want to be careful and not have them in fourth-line roles. So, uh, but, you know, there's, you know, I'll be interested to see, again, what happens so unknown right now with what they, they're going to lose a really good player in expansion. Um, they're going to try to make some trades. Uh, again, they want to get a physical defenseman, but that will probably have to come via trade. So there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty going into this offseason. And, uh, and not a lot of cap and, and not a lot of cap room to make the moves. And given that uncertainty and the lack of cap room, how restless is the fan base right now? Are they buying into this positive we took step forward, or are they saying? We've heard this song and dance for half a decade now. When are we going to finally break through? Yeah, no, I think the latter. I mean, uh, the reaction that I saw on Twitter today to Chuck Fletcher's words was was unbelievable. I mean, there was a lot of vitriol out in the fan base. I think a lot of people were stunned at, at um, his uh, his demeanor and his painting a rosy picture on this. And there, there's a lot of fans here that invested both with their heart and their hard-earned money 
into believing that this was a team that actually could aspire to being a Stanley Cup winner and to not even uh, get out of the first round, let alone only win one game and none at home, I think has pissed off a lot of fans here in the, in the Twin Cities. And so to hear the GM today talk like that, I think there were some pretty angry fans. And it'll make for a very difficult offseason for the sales guys, uh, for this team, for the sales staff that have to sell tickets uh, fresh off a five-game playoff loss to their former coach. I'm sure you responded to every one of those frustrated fans with patience <laughs> and understanding, right? No. I will tell you, Craig, I mean, you know, when I was listening to Chuck talk today, I, I was uncomfortable for him. I, I, I really wanted him to stop putting himself down the path that he was putting himself in. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he did it. He just dug and dug and dug. Uh, Michael, my last one for you. Just you mentioned the expansion draft a little bit earlier. A lot of people think Minnesota could be one of those teams that's, that might lose a pretty good player in this. Do you have any sense of who that might be or how they're positioning themselves for that? Well, it's kind of pointless to try to figure it out now because Chuck Fletcher has made it very clear that he hopes to make a trade or two going into the expansion draft. So, like even today when I was talking to him, he's like, "Look, I haven't gone to Jason Pomenzo and asked him to waive his no move yet for expansion because I don't even know if I'll have to because maybe we trade a forward by then." Um, so, you know, my guess is they're going to lose the defenseman, um, whether it's Matt Dumba, Jonas Berdine, or Marco Scandella. I mean, you know, there are a couple teams like Minnesota, Nashville, they're going to lose a really good player. Um, you know, the other one that's a possibility is Jason Zucker, who's from Las Vegas. It would be quite the coup for the Vegas Golden Knights to get something like that, uh, a local guy, the only Las Vegas product that's in the NHL. But, again, if you're – building a franchise depending on what else you get from other teams you know usually you want to build up the middle or on the blue line or obviously in gold not usually with a speedy winger so it'll be interesting you know so my guess is if it's up front it would be nobody other than zucker but the wild would like to protect zucker um uh, but right now technically they probably can't uh you know they, they have to up front protect if they don't go to pominville and ask them to wave uh, pominville koivu and parisi and then you're obviously protecting Coyle, Granlin, and Niederreiter. And then most likely you're protecting Eric Stahl. That leaves guys like Eric Holland, Jason Zucker available. And then on the back end, you're protecting Ryan Suter because you have to. You're protecting Jerry Spurgeon because that's a no-brainer. So that leaves Dumba, Brodine, or Scandella. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm in Minnesota, you're hoping that they're taking the expensive defenseman off your hands. And you might have to give them a pick or a player to try to make that happen. All right, Mike, as always, we appreciate your time. I know it was a busy day for you with Branko, but you probably have 10 more stories to write today. So thanks for taking some time out of your day, man. We will talk to you down the road. All right, that was Michael Russo of the Star Tribune. Some interesting uh, thoughts there on, on just the way Minnesota went out. We talked about this team heading into the playoffs, and even with two weeks left in the season, that it almost kind of felt like they were already out of the playoffs, and they were going in as the team with home ice advantage. And then they basically did what I think a lot of people expected in that they went out in five games and didn't score a lot of goals. But, and, and Michael Russo just said this, they outplayed St. Louis in some of those games. I don't know what you do going forward if you're Minnesota. I don't see what, what's ever going to make me believe this doesn't happen again next year. I, I, the, yeah, they won the series in analytics, right? <laughs> yes. But they lost the series. And I, I've seen this. I, I said this to you on the drive over here, actually. Having watched them play the Blackhawks several times in the postseason, I've seen this act from the Wild before. They look so incredible. When, when you're just watching a game on TV, they're so fast, they're so deep. It's like they come at you in waves, 
and you're thinking, how the heck are you going to beat this team? They just look so good. They don't score. They don't finish. And that's been a problem in past postseasons, too. I don't know how you fix that. They scored a ton of goals during the regular season, so it's odd in a way that they couldn't sustain it. But, again, I've seen this act before. For some reason, they seem to fail under pressure. That's that's the key, the fact that we've seen this act before. Because there is a certain element of, of usefulness when you're looking at a series and you lost in five games, but all the games were close, and you're looking at the analytics, and you're saying, okay, we actually probably played well enough to win. We ran into a hot goalie. And how many hot goalies in the history of the NHL have destroyed teams because the team overreacts. So mm-hmm. when you're evaluating your, your your team, I understand the use of analytics, but the fact remains that it wasn't a one-year thing. We've seen this year after year after year, and Chicago's out of the playoffs. So in theory, this was Minnesota's chance to get through without facing Chicago, and they can't finish. And I think you have to take the way they finish the regular season into account, too. If, if they were on fire ending the season, and they come in and then they just run into a hot Jake Allen and... I think you look at it and say, you know, you throw your hands up even with Minnesota's history, but they played so poorly down the stretch. Yeah. They didn't – I mean, they outplayed St. Louis, but it's not like they were playing great in that series either. You're going to no. lose Martin Hansel. I, I just – I don't I don't see a quick solution to their problems. I don't see anything anything that they can do this offseason that I'm going to go, yes, that's the team to beat in the Western Conference. The, the weird thing about the way they finished the season, though, is it was, it was largely bad goaltending. Yeah. That killed them but that's down scary. the stretch in the regular season. Devin Dunick wasn't the problem in the yeah. postseason. Now, he gave up a couple goals where you say, eh. And, and the, in the playoffs, you're probably going to have two one games. But you look at his numbers, and for the most part, he played really well. They simply didn't finish. And that wasn't a problem during the regular season. So it's odd how it, kind it of, shifted yeah. to that. I don't know if part of that lack of confidence in Dubnik bled into the team and they were doing some things that they weren't doing in the regular season as a result. But... And that's a complex issue to try and solve at this point. Maybe they just don't have guys that score goals in the playoffs, other than Zach Parisi, who obviously has been to a cup before, and he scored in this series. But, I mean, it, it is, it's a different game in the playoffs, and you just you don't, you don't get a lot of cracks at it. You know, they got five mm-hmm. games. It's not like they gain valuable experience that all of a sudden they're going to be finishers next year. So you can't just – every team can't go out and sign Justin Williams every offseason. You can't just go out and find a guy that's going to guaranteed to score in the playoffs – so I don't know what Minnesota does. Like if, if I asked you guys right now, I give you the next five years, and you have to tell me Minnesota wins a cup or doesn't in the next five years, are any of us predicting that they do? No. no. But, no. but to be fair, how many teams would we sit here and say we're for, we're, we feel very certain that they will win a cup in the next five years? No. I mean, you wouldn't feel certain about anybody. but I, I think, think you, the better question is do they win multiple playoff rounds? Because I still think that answer is no. How about this? Do you see Edmonton getting to a cup or Minnesota getting to a cup first? That's, wow, that's a tough they, question because Ed, I don't, Edmonton I, has more flaws than Minnesota. Yeah, I don't but, think Edmonton's a very good team to no, be honest. But, we, but Edmonton's we'll get into the best that player. in a minute. I just think they they just beat a very banged up team. Yeah. And that's why they're advancing. I wasn't impressed with Edmonton at all in the first round. But it, it, you want to ask about Toronto? I think Toronto's getting to a Cup final before Minnesota does. I, I think just, that one could happen soon. Yeah, I think we could rattle off a good ten to twelve teams that were more yeah. comfortable that are either ahead of Minnesota right now yeah. or are. Not that far behind them and heading in the right direction, whereas I feel like Minnesota is just banging their head on the ceiling, and the ceiling's not high enough. Well, they're not breaking through that ceiling, are no, they? they're not. I have to use that poetic in here. Does this just go back to that thing that we always talk about? That Again, not to, to, I spoke to Eddie Olchek earlier today for a story I'm writing for our site. Name dropper. Site dropper. Well, he'll be on the site. Olchek so dropper. Trying to promote our <laughs> website. No. Which is fanrexports.com, by the way, in case you're wondering. Now, now who's doing it? 
well, that's, that's all you, you can, can do. You can find us on the internet. Well, it goes back to the, the notion <laughs> you can that you need. find us on the internet. <laughs> alongside Safari, everybody else in the world. You can find us on Safari, Google Chrome, <laughs> Netscape. I mean, any of your favorite Web browsers. TV, AOL.com. <laughs> oh, wow. Did so, we derail you enough there? Wow. Circling back to my point. <laughs> I, it, I've always believed this. I, I think a lot of people believe this. You, you need difference makers in the, in the postseason. And I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, it's nice to have a guy like Justin Williams, as you mentioned earlier, somebody who for some reason just performs at that time of year. But by and large, I'm just talking about superstars. Do you have the superstars who, as Eddie put it to me earlier, can score a goal when they get just two chances? Not, I need five, six chances to get a goal in a game like most of the players on the Minnesota Wild, you would probably say that about. Do you have those superstars where when your team is struggling, they're in a bad situation, for whatever reason, they can lift you up because they have those abilities? We look at Pittsburgh. Same thing with Columbus in that series. Columbus couldn't score. There were long stretches of that series where they took it to the Penguins, but they weren't finishing. Then Crosby makes a play, Malkin makes a play, and they're suddenly chasing the game. As Eddie put it to me, it's like playing five-card stud with three cards. Yeah, You could win occasionally, but you're not going to win very often. Yeah, and you could survive if your goalie is that superstar for that yeah. series. But yeah. if he's not, and you don't have another piece, it's difficult to see. You don't see solid but unspectacular teams win cups. You just and don't. again, up the middle. What do you have up the middle? We- <laughs> again, you could win the Super Back Bowl. Back to the Dave Tippett arguments. Yeah. Why is he still the coach? What does he have up, up the middle? middle? You could win the Super Bowl without a great quarterback, but... Only every once in a while, mm-hmm. and your defense has to be. I mean, there's you have less to make up for it. Now, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That, that, all I'm hearing is that Joel Erickson Eck has to be the next Sidney Tom Crosby Brady? for oh. Minnesota. To, yes, and the next Tom Brady. No pressure. All right, that's going to do it for us. We will uh, be back next week talking deeper into round two. Everything will have started by then. I don't think there's any way anybody could be eliminated by then. So I'm excited about these second round series. We will uh, we'll dive deeper into them once we've seen some games. For Jamie Eisner, Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.